The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Scalper Tom, and I am joined by Limited Availability. Dan. <laughs> I was going to say uh, Sucker Dan as like I'm the person that's buying my the PS5 from you, but I am not going to buy a console from a scalper, so... <laughs> Yeah, and that that's um something that wasn't really planned to be a huge discussion but is I would say unavoidably going to be a major conversation later in the podcast. It, and it's and it's you know at the top of my mind right now having just finished the video and and launch right when we started recording the like a cold gaming winter like my final report on RDNA2 and Ampere availability this year and and we'll get to that but it's just it's just looking like it's looking like a rough winter overall, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what can we say, Dan? Um, yeah, very much so. Not to start on a melancholy note, but it's just like, eh, I, I don't know, man. And it, it, it's just a bit annoying, too, because you almost get the sense that, like, unless in your YouTube channel, all you do is yell at companies when things happen you don't like, whether it's their fault or not. Or you tell people what they want to hear. People seem to just like blame you for reporting the news. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say to that. It, it, that's kind of a weird human instinct for some reason. Well, we certainly hope that the fans of this channel are smart enough, you know, <laughs> to not do that. But we will see. I'm seeing so many bizarre reactions to videos lately. Um, and I guess, uh, I don't know, I guess also on that note, I, this is if it, you're in the free feeds, you know, if you're hitchhiking off of the uh, the standard release with ads, then uh, this is the Thanksgiving episode. Of course, patrons get this early. Remember, if you support us on Patreon, you do get this early and ad-free, and you get to submit reader mails, which we'll get to in a second here. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, right? <laughs> Such <laughs> yeah. a fun Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first Thanksgiving I'm not going to be home for, so... Yeah, well, maybe extra amounts of people can say Dan is okay or something nice, you know, besides, ah, why are you the ones making AMD have, you know, whatever shipments? (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get overly depressing, uh, let us just get into (laughs) the important questions. So the first important question comes from Bill Head 94. Tom and Dan, would you allow making a limited edition release of Broken Silicon on a retro console format? say, targeting a Sega Genesis, for example? Um, No. If we ever did a limited run of one of our podcasts for a console, it would only be on the Virtual Boy. Yeah, the Virtual Boy is my favorite con- legacy console. So we've got to And go you'd have that. to put your head up to the little 3D thing just to see me and Dan's face freeze-framed in each eye. Or, with my experience with Virtual Boy, a red plane that you can't see anything on. Right, because it's 
Well, what's so hard about seeing red objects in front of other red backgrounds? Hey, there were some black backgrounds too, Tom. So that contrast That's true. was that contrast was really good. NVIDIA hater confirmed. Uh, 0x000FF4 writes in and says, Hey, Tom, how hard will it be to make my own CPU with electron beam lithography? And how low in terms of nanometer do you think I could go on my own? Will I be able to stack layers? Ah, oh, it should be easy. Me and Dan make our own CPUs all the time. Yeah, I got my own printer right here. We're in a very sarcastic mood today. Yeah, we, we? <laughs> we need to tone it down a little bit, probably. I don't know. Potatoes Our Life writes in and says, you said that both AMD and NVIDIA tested many bus widths for their cards. This cannot be true, as if the bus was too wide, it would not fit on the road, and if it were too narrow, it would be unstable and fall over. This leaves me with only one conclusion. You are a fraud and a shill. We've already said we're shills, you know. We're trying to convince people not to buy Ampere so we can buy them. And uh, I'm not sure what we would do with all of them, but I guess mine. And, uh, well, and fail to get them because we don't have any of it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, we are trained shills too, Tom. All right. So now let us get into the corrections, uh, which I think we have another absurd co- reader mail here from Carbon Cry. In your Zen 3 Redwood Co. video, you said that your Intel and AMD t-shirts came with products I bought for free. The correct formulation is, and I realize I said that in a weird way in the video, and it's funny that... You guys have to understand, I realize when I said something in a weird way most of the time before the video's out, but it's like, eh, video's done, it's out. But anyways, he goes on, the t-shirts came for free with products I bought. That's what you should have said. And although it's a common logical error, what you are actually saying is that you bought products for free, not that the t-shirts were free and add-ons for products you bought. Of course, the more conspiratorial read is that you are low-key saying you are getting AMD and Intel products for free, making you a massive shill. Oh, shit. <laughs> just can't cut your break today, Dan. I mean, we're just shills, shilling all over the place today, Tom. Yeah. TSPCFS writes, and this is not necessarily a correction per se, but I think the way you talk about cash and shrinking in the latest broken silicon, around 46-minute mark on the Patreon edition, I think the wording used is not as clear as it could be could have for some less technically minded listeners. Well, it was uh, what I basically said, you know, there's a reader mail saying if you could have more cash, like should you? And the answer I gave was I mean overall if you could just have infinite cash so you never had to reference things outside of other tiers of memory, you probably would. You're seeing these wafer scale chip like from Cerebrus, where they're just putting, I forgot the number, so I'm not going to say it, but just massive amounts of cash. And it's like 33,000 millimeter square die. (laughs) Like the first thing they did with making a die that large was say, how much cash can we put on here? So it, it may be an oversimplification, but it's always this hard balance, you know, of, well, I mean, how in depth should I get the the fact of the matter is, I think it was fair though. TSPCFS, right? I mean, it's not. It, it's to say, if you just added a ton of cash to one architecture, not meant to use it, it wouldn't help. But I, I'm of course saying, if they built it to utilize that cash too, yeah. And it's like this isn't a computer engineering podcast, and so there's going to be some stuff that gets simplified. Yeah, I mean, I'd say we just walk the line between the engineering side and the casual gaming side. And that's kind of the niche we've carved out, like not being afraid to get into the technical side a little bit, even go away from gaming. But 
you know, also not just being, you know, entirely inept to what's going on, yeah. like console gaming podcasts tend to be. Not all of them, but man, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. VI Pass writes in and says, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall you making a big deal about the RTX 3080's power consumption and saying that AMD should be better. Uh, but after going over several review sites, including hardware and box, the 3080 seems to have slightly better performance for Watt. Uh, am I, unless I'm wrong. Well, you are wrong. <laughs> I pulled up the review of Hardware Unboxed, and he found the 6800 to be the most efficient card out of these new high-end cards tested this fall. The 6800 XT to be more efficient than the 3080, and this was based on a game tested in 4K, too. If we were to test in 1440p, it would be even more so in AMD's favor, right? Yeah. And keep in mind, they're testing total system power. That's what you got to look at, too. So... I don't know. I, the, the final thing I would say is that the 6900 XT isn't even out yet. And based on what AMD is saying, again, we'll have to see in final reviews, the 6900 XT looks like it will be the most efficient card in the lineup. And AMD's already got their cut down cards out, you know, that aren't binned as highly outperforming all of NVIDIA's top end GA102 cards and the 3070, which is more efficient than, as far as I can tell, all GA102 cards. <laughs> Dev Spotsky writes in and says, Hi, Tom. Congratulations on being the leading newsbreaker on 6800 XT performance and being accurate with your predictions. Well, they weren't predictions. <laughs> like, talk to people at AMD and uh, not just one top tier AIB, but a bunch of people connected to AMD and AIBs. Um, that's why it was so accurate. I just didn't double down on one AIB, for example, telling me their sample wasn't getting that high in performance. And yeah, but it turned out to be, he goes on, it, it turned out to be pretty much how you called it. Great work. I think you own some of your contacts, a nice bottle of red wine. Well, I don't really know where any of them live, and I think most of them prefer to keep it that way. Yeah, I think but, that's uh, best for them. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, I guess I don't know what else to say except that I wasn't guessing and that I'm starting to see some new exclusive reports on the Navi 22 6700 XT from video cards. And it's just exactly what I said, including power usage. Oh, those are some pretty juicy exclusives from video cards then, Tom, huh? Again, see, the, th the thing that annoys me isn't that maybe they didn't watch one of my videos. It's that they call it exclusive when it's not. Like, and how many times, and that's why it's like, I'm coming to the conclusion that you really shouldn't put exclusive, just title your report what it is, unless you're actually going to check all other tech tubers, news sites. Cause when you see like the Washington post put exclusive, they scour other news sites well, and websites to make sure they were the first. And usually when it's an exclusive from that, it's from a contact that they have where like, it's known to be an exclusive contact. So like that's the betting they go through. And I know the inte journalistic integrity, I, I guess if you want to call it journalism in a lot of these things, isn't as high as with like political journalism. But still, I mean, if you're going to call something an exclusive, know that it's an exclusive. Exactly. And the fact of the matter is it just comes off as like pure arrogance because you're basically saying, I haven't watched. And, I, and it's obvious because you see the like, I'm, I don't want to name any more names because I don't feel like, you know, I, I don't intend to do this, like start this whole hostile thing. But like, it is literally what you're saying is I know uh, is I think I'm the only one who could know something. Yeah. Right. And, and it's very clear that there is basically zero effort. It's not even that it's, they didn't check. It's like, they didn't check at all. 
with like any of the other usual suspects of leakers when they put exclusive in these YouTube and you know tech site titles. It's like, no, you're not the first to talk about Alder Lake. You're not the first to talk about NVIDIA pricing manipulation. You just didn't watch literally anyone else's work and you're assuming no one else could possibly know anyone at these companies with tens of thousands of employees, which if you think about it, you should assume it's not an exclusive because there's a lot of employees that could be talking <laughs> to people. Yeah, I mean, and it's not only you. It's not like you're saying it's only you. It's I'm sure like no. other tech tubers all over the place are getting uh, re- say stuff months before any website picks it up. But yeah. All right, Dan, sh- let us get into the stories. So the first one, RX 6800 XT and 6800 Reviewed. AMD is back in the enthusiast segment. So I already put out my video reacting to what I think of the 6800 XT, which is to say, you know, just kind of as a recap, when the Ampere reviews came out, I was underwhelmed, which of course, like all of, it seems like all of my reactions to review day videos now, which I would say a lot of people's reactions to review day videos, it seems like all they do is take a dump on the product or they say it's the greatest thing ever, you know, yeah. which is this whole problem with like so many tech tubers just turning into go buy everything we talk about channels. <laughs> and it's usually more nuanced than that, I think. And, you know, so so it's like, well, was Ampere weak? No, I mean, they brought like a 50, 40 to 50% performance boost over the last gen, but they acted like they were almost doubling performance and they weren't, not even in ray tracing. And they brought... So, power consumption that pretty much just lines up with the performance increase and other weird issues too. So it's like, if it would have just been a slam dunk with Ampere, same power consumption as before, enough VRAM in the 3080 for 4K gaming for years, and you know ray tracing that is where I think we should expect it to be and to not continue to be a gimmick, I would have said good things, but it just came with a lot of corner cutting. And when it comes to the 6800 XT and 6800, I basically said AMD doubles performance. I think I put that in the thumbnail and that's it. Like AMD brought exactly what I believe people should have expected without overhyping. And I guess that's what I would say. You know, they win slightly in 1440p against the 3080. They lose slightly in 4K. They give you more VRAM. They cost a little less. They use a little less energy. It's exactly what I expected. With the uh, context of like 6900 XT being a product that exists, I would say I'm, uh, I thought it was a little better than what I thought it might be a few months ago. But yeah, it's not substantially better. It's just this is AMD is in a good spot. They didn't take the crown, uh, obviously, but they're in a good spot. And these reviews pretty much line up exactly with what they showed uh, when they unveiled it. I mean, I think uh, in general, th- the 6800 XT and the 6800 are like one or two percent weaker than what they would have shown with like those 12 games they showed, but it's more or less exactly what they showed. Yeah. And I think a lot of those discrepancies come down, can be explained with, I mean, if we're being honest, like that's like, you know, statistics, like that's just like a rounding error for some of these differences. And the test rigs AMD use, you've got to look up what they use. I think they typically use like 5950Xs and a lot of review sites did not use Zen 3 for their reviews or like some did, some didn't. And so when you see these discrepancies, it's like, eh, guys, it's in some benchmark without smart access memory on, which is something I pointed out in my assessment of RDNA 2. I'm like, you know, most people don't have this, so you've got to look at this chart and maybe subtract 
well, you know, for some of them, some of them not. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think if you're benchmarking it, it would be a good idea to show benchmarks for smart access memory on and off if you can. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I actually was, I think, you know, Hardware and Box said pretty much the same stuff I would. I tend to agree with them a lot, it seems. Um, but, you know, the other people that were disappointed, I'm like, yeah, guys, I don't know. This is why I tried to control RDNA2 hype so, so much in my Discord, because it doesn't seem to matter. So, it, people w- just have this tendency to overhype AMD. And I think the only people disappointed by AMD launching a 16 gigabyte card that trades blows with the 3080 while using less energy are the people that for some reason thought it would kill it. And I just never was presented like it would. There was no point where Lisa Sue goes, this kills it in 4K gaming. That's the 6900 XT that's going to win. And that's not out yet. Yeah, I feel like if you thought the reviews were going to show that, that would mean that you assume that AMD was like holding back their cards. So review day, they could, I don't know, come in and be even better than what they were were presenting, which uh, those unveiling events. Interesting strategy. (laughs) Yeah, those unveil events are going to be, they're going to want to show their things in the best light because I assume that's what most people will initially pay attention to. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but if you read discussions online, a lot of them are like, see the, saw the 3080 unveil and that's what they assume the performance level is. And they just never look at it again. They're just like, oh, that's the 3080. I'll buy it when I can get it. So I think, which is particularly, which is again, right. So let's say AMD was off by 2%, which from what I saw, they were pretty much right on the money with what they said. At least what I saw, I think a lot of people's memories they're remembering the 3090s performance in graphs, and they were mixing up the graphs that it's smart access memory on with the ones that didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's why they expected more. If you actually go back and look, I, I think they line up. Well, let's say they're off even by 5%. I mean, well, why aren't you more mad at AMD? Uh, NVIDIA was off by 30%. They said the 3080 was double the 2080s performance. No, it was like 60 to 70% better. That's a, that's not negligible. That's an entire tier or two difference from what they told you it would be. Yeah, and part of me wonders, like the way they presented those graphs in the unveiling event, where they like pr- charted performance against price. I wonder if, like, so that that was so they could spread it out to make like the newer cards harder to directly compare visually to their older cards. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that okay. happens all the time. I think I actually pointed that out in a couple of videos. But so, yeah, I mean, I think that's all I have to say about the 6800 XT. Remember, the 6900 XT is coming and should be 7 to 12% stronger. But now I kind of just want to focus on other things and, and the 6800. I, I, I don't think enough people are covering the 6800, but also non-rasterization performance, which Root Knight writes in and says, reviews of the 6800 XT showed the ray tracing performance penalty is about 50% for most titles, yet Dirt 5 shows a ray tracing penalty of around 20%. Do you have any insights as to how that result was achieved on that game? Um, Well, what I would... What were you going to say? I was going to say, I think at least in the TechSpot review that I I looked through, they kind of said that Dirt's ray tracing wasn't all that impressive, too. Right. Yeah. And and I think a lot of the games where AMD doesn't lose that much, but also 
it, in, it matches up with NVIDIA, though. So let's be clear, in these games where AMD doesn't lose much performance, they also tend to actually tie the 3070 or 3080 or, or, or get very close. So it, it's kind of what I expected. Games that have lower levels of ray tracing or are more multi-platform, usually both, by the way, if you'll notice, <laughs> AMD-optimized games tend to have not have as high ray tracing, which you could make the argument that's a good thing. I don't think vomiting Chrome everywhere is what I want for next-gen graphics, which is what <laughs> I feel like NVIDIA's ray tracing titles tend to do like in Battlefield 5. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that AMD, the way they do their ray tracing, which is, if I'm remembering correctly, basically repurposing TMUs as ray tracing, just kind of sneaking in, you know, like not dedicated hardware, but adjusting some of the hardware to be able to do ray tracing at the same time. So yeah, lower levels might have a similar ray tracing performance hit as Ampere because it's meant to do it at the same time instead of Ampere. It just has hardware sitting there for ray tracing. Yeah, and it's sometimes not always, to be honest. (laughs) And it's interesting because, like, if you compare the 6800 ray tracing at the 2080 Ti, it kills the 2080 Ti on Dirt 5. But then when you compare it to Dirt, I mean, to a Shadow of the Tomb Raider ray trace, the 6800 actually loses by a few frames. So, yeah, I think that's definitely, I I think your assessment is correct. (laughs) Yeah. And Furthermore, on the subject of ray tracing, um, I actually was in an AMD webinar this morning, um, and they went through some of their features. And, and and of course, this is coming directly from AMD. The guy sounded like a pretty pretty straight shooter. He wasn't afraid to say when they're not going to give products to uh, get or give software features to older products. And like he just said, no, we're not going to. Like he was he's a straight shooter, but. So, but he was at AMD. So I'm mm-hmm. saying, keep in mind, you know, he's, he wants to say good things, but he did aptly point out that in a lot of the recent games like Godfall and Dirt 5, games built with the consoles and therefore RDNA 2 in mind, that you're seeing ray tracing performance significantly better than GamesWorks titles. And that he's like, this is an indication of what's coming. And I said that in my 6800 XT. Uh, review day video as well that when I look at the most impressive ray tracing on Miles Morales is actually what I think is the most impressive ray tracing. Yeah, it's running at 30 frames, but full 4K and they just project on like the buildings as you swing past them and there's not this like disappearing of cars in the distance in the (laughs) mirrors like you see in Watch Dogs. I think it's much more impressive looking. That hints, I, I think that if they build ray tracing into games at reasonable levels with AMD's tech in mind, that it could actually age much, much better than people think. And they even show multiple examples of how almost all of the latest games, the 6800 XT was often beating the 3090. I mean, like, ray tracing, it's hybrid with rasterization right now because things can't be fully ray traced. So I think if ray tracing is employed smartly and... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And sparingly, I think that is, mm. might potentially be the maybe best reasonably is what you would say. Yeah, reasonably is probably a better word than sparingly, but it, but not going overboard with it so it kills performance. That might be the best uh, middle ground that we have with the current where the co- uh, hardware currently stands. Well, I think that's absolutely true on the consoles if you look at the results of some games. But additionally, I think that I think that's just common sense. Like, yeah. This idea of making every car in Battlefield 5 look like like a top-end sports car fresh off the factory line is, un, is straight up unrealistic. Like making these 
like puddles on the ground look crystal clear like they're in a Grecian pond doesn't make any sense when there should be cloudy. Like it's just you're turning up the ray tracing to unrealistic levels. And often I find, and they found this in Devil May Cry in the console analysis, sometimes didn't even look as good as the pre-baked lighting. Like you want to turn down ray tracing and use it in mirrors, a few things that, you know, will look really good and add to the effects. But just cranking up ray tracing isn't just, you know, irresponsible. It's also just doesn't look as good. I mean, in addition yeah, to the performance hit. Like think of like think of it, it's raining outside and a car passes a puddle. You're not just gonna see a perfect reflection of a car. That's not realistic. No. And yeah, I know it takes a lot of uh it takes strong hardware to, to simulate that in the game, but it doesn't look realistic. And I, I hope we don't have this thing this generation, which I'm sure there will be a few games that do this where like mm-hmm. you said, everything is just chromed out because they can do it and it looks kind of cool. Well, yeah, and and another thing that I'm going to watch closely with next gen games on PC is I hope I hope what they like because you know sometimes like when we like when we first started playing Deep Rock Galactic we just wanted to start playing so I'm like screw it high settings uh, 4K let's play like I didn't mess with the settings eventually I did and got you know better results but I hope that when they pair ray tracing levels to like medium high ultra. They do it at a reasonable degree where they actually put like medium ray tracing on ultra, low ray tracing on high, no ray tracing on medium. And then there's just a separate toggle where if you want to crank up ray tracing and play at 30 frames a second, I guess go for it. But, but I am worried that we'll see these benchmarks on ultra with levels of ray tracing no one's going to or should be turning on in practice on benchmark sites. Well, I, it might happen. Like, re- remember, uh, crisis when when did crisis come out uh like 15 oh, years know. ago i mean no yeah. ga- no graphics card could run that game well when it came out on full settings so maybe there will just be some game that becomes the new crisis for ray tracing also i'm not um, trying to imply crisis has ray tracing to be clear but <laughs> yeah but anyways i do have a little summary here of the 6800 so we talked about the 6800 xt and ray tracing let's let's talk about the 6800 a bit because i think this is an under discussed product right now also oh yeah before we get it i also want to say i'm not satisfied with the ray tracing analysis i've seen on websites it seems like they've almost skipped over it now hopefully there'll be better comparisons it's a timing issue than have time to fully analyze it. but this is one of those things where it's like if someone could lend me like a 3080 or 3090 and a big Navi card so I could compare them for a while. Like I want to sit down, leave them in the rig, game with them a few times and see like what settings do I actually end up using? Is it noticeable that Ampere's better at it or not in a couple of games? Because I'm not really satisfied with the ray tracing comparisons I'm seeing. They're actually somewhat confusing. I've seen some Discord members do their own like <laughs> summary tables going to like 10 different websites to compare them. And some people are finding actually RDNA 2 is much closer to Ampere's ray tracing performance than you one might think if you don't just only look at like Watchdogs Legions or something. Mm-hmm. So like that's one thing I want to point out too is that I think this is something where we're gonna to have to come back to it, or I'm gonna to have to try to do my own comparison because I just think there's enough ray tracing. But anyways, let's get to the 6800. Quoting here from a couple of websites, we have with us the Radeon RX 6800, the fun size sibling to the company's top 6800 XT. The two new high end GPUs from AMD 
are out to eat NVIDIA's lunch in the enthusiast segment. The card packs 3,840 cores, 240 TMUs, and 96 ROPs across 60 compute units. The core clock at 2100 megahertz with 16 gigabytes of GR6 memory on a 256-bit memory bus. It's almost funny to talk about this bus now that it has infinity cache. It's like, this doesn't really yeah. tell you the whole story either. <laughs> and it has 512 gigabytes of memory bandwidth to play with. Well, yeah, when it's not moving over a terabyte with the infinity cache. <laughs> uh, as good as the RTX 3070 performance lines was against this, we feel that even for gaming at 1440p, the 8 gigabyte buffer is going to be less than ideal in the not so distant future. It's perfectly acceptable in a mainstream bound product for $300 or cheaper, but at $500, we think they could do better. Bottom line, the 6800 is a beast offering gamers exceptionally good value, and it's now the number one choice for those spending up to $600 on a new graphics card. So that last part came from uh, Hardware Unbox, too. I, I think this is something that people will argue about. I think a lot of people are saying the 6800 XT is the greater value, that, uh, or maybe the 3070 is, but I think I think there's some pretty big... I don't know, Dan, like, what do you think looking at the comparisons for specifically the 6800 with like 3070 and 6800 XT? Um, I mean, I would say right now, so the 3070 is a bit weaker. It is a bit weaker than the 6800. I think the TechSpot review, they showed that it's slightly better performance per watt. So technically slightly better price performance than the 6800 right now. But I feel like the 6800 will probably... You mean performance per dollar? Performance, yeah, not watt, sorry. Performance per dollar. Um, I think the 6800, though, will likely age better than the 3070 because it has more RAM and it's still a higher performing product. So I don't know. I I think the 6800 is the best option for a lot of people. If you, well, if you don't want to compromise at all, you would get the 6900 XT or the 3090. But... I, I think the 6800 is maybe the best product for a lot of people. Or, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Assuming you can get it for under $600. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things to unpack here. Number one, the 3070 is not a $500 graphics card. And it's actually becoming particularly annoying to me how often I see them comparing 500 to... The 6800. Now, having said that, I'll get to it later, Dan. I have some more information that I put out. And a 6800 may in practice may not be a $600 card either. So it may be premature to analyze. But let, like, let's just say the 6800 on average costs 10% more or 20% more. Yeah, when I look at like God, I'm just like I have the tech spot review up here. Like in 1440p, the 6800 is, as far as I can tell, often at least 10% stronger. So you go, well, if it's 20% more, you know, here at this game, they're very close, actually, I guess. You know, why would you spend 20% more for 10% more performance? It's like, well, I, I mean, guys, it has double the RAM. And I do really think that as these cards age, it's probably more likely to ray trace. You know, let me let me look at the specs here. You know, ray trace closer to the 3080 than the 3070. Or, or I'm sorry, like, I think it's going to pull ahead there. I think it's going to have, you know, less limitations. I think it just all comes down to, like, why are you really buying these cards? And I think if you're spending over $500, you just, you know, like, is this the 4K 120 hertz card of your dreams? 
Well, I would argue none of those are ever going to be out because you're always going to have to turn down a couple of settings on yeah. just with how ridiculous ultra settings are these days. But at the end of the day, the 6800 typically brings a level of performance at 4K60 and 1440p120 that you're just you're just not getting out of the 3070. And I think it's going to age much better into these resolutions, not just because of its VRAM, but because it's kind of like the longer time goes on with a lot of these types of cards. You saw things like the 290 and the 290X kind of just aging into almost the same performance. Like same with the yeah. 570 and the 580. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the 6800 looks like a great card if you can get it for $580. I mean, obviously all these discussions of price have to kind of have the MSRP baked into it unless it becomes very evident that, oh, these cards are no longer selling for their MSRP, which, I mean, that generally happens as cards sell for like 20 to $50 more at a certain point than their MSRP. Isn't that funny, though? I swear it used to be the opposite about four years ago. <sighs> I mean, yeah. Different- we all used to say, oh, but it'll come below MSRP. Yeah, you, there was usually at least one model of the card you could find that wasn't a piece of shit that <laughs> would be below MSRP. Well, yeah, but and uh, six months after launch, am I yeah. wrong, Dan? No, you're not. The, the, you know, unless there was a mining boom, I guess. You know, in 2013, when we were building our PCs, six months after every card launched, they were cheaper. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to remember, like, what the MSRP was for like the 7950 but it certainly wasn't the like $330 I, I think it, it launched for 400 or yeah. 450 yeah and i bought it for i think 330 or something yeah so at the end of the day i that's the other thing i would just say is i wish and 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 i say it about the 3070 cuz it's so clearly not a $500 <laughs> card right now despite only having 8 gigabytes like the street price is closer to 600 but I can't completely throw stones yet because, well, we'll get to it. Based on what I know, the 6800 might not be a $600 card either. So yeah. anyways, let us move on. Doc Mechanics writes in and says, well, the tech press tells us the reviews are conclusive. The 5600 is all we need for gaming. The AMD reveal told us the 5900X is the gaming champion. Six months ago, I queried if AMD would make use of the spare Gen 4 bandwidth and CPU course to offload RT support. Uh, and texture flow like in the Unreal Engine 5 demo. Well, I mean, it's not that simple as what was going on in that demo. Um, but Tom, you've often said AMD doesn't lie. So perhaps direct storage and DXR will give those 8 and 12-core CPUs a distinct advantage. I mean, look, they're calling it the... No, no, no. I think they call the 5900X the champion of gaming simply because it's 1% better or whatever than the 5600X. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is just marketing, guys. I don't think that's lying either. It is the gaming champion in the same way that the 10900K was the gaming champion despite, was it really much better at gaming than the 10700K? No, but they're going to want, if they can convince you to get the 5900X instead of the 5600X, they're going to try to convince you to get that. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like the Titan RTX. It's like, that was better than the 2080 Ti gaming on average by like 5 to 10%. <laughs> it does not mean anyone should have been buying it just for gaming. Yeah, exactly. Root Knight writes in and says, I'm curious to hear your opinions on Frank Azor's approach to Twitter replies on the whole paper launch matter. So did you see Frank Azor's tweets? Um, no, I don't think I did. So 
What happened is on launch day, he like tweeted a picture of him checking out the AMD store with like a 6800 XT, I think, and saying, go to the AMD store if you want to get these cards. And of course, everyone attacked them because they couldn't get a card. And so they were like, this is like rubbing it in our faces or you're lying to us that you were able to buy one. He's like, well, no, I I bought one, guys. (laughs) And it wasn't because AMD let me. I don't. Have an I didn't have employee access. I actually was able to buy one at launch, and uh, so I, I, I mean, his approach. I mean, he, I, he wasn't lying, guys. He was able to buy one at launch, and I think this just comes in with this huge misconception we're about to get into about availability. One that I fear I'll never be able to have a decent amount of the population understand, which is that this wasn't a paper launch. They just had most of the reference stock on Amazon, Newegg, and AMD's own website. And they didn't send that many to brick and mortar stores because I don't know if you guys have heard, there's a pandemic right now and they're trying to avoid people going to brick and mortar stores. And so, no, it wasn't a paper launch, guys. You just weren't able to get one. I know multiple people that were able to get one. I got one person who got a 3080 at launch. One out of like a thousand enthusiasts that I see in some discords. You know, I, well, let's move on though, because we're going to get into this now. So Eshel writes and says, Hi, Tom. Just found some information about RX 6000 availability. An Israeli official reseller just shows it on the website that all 6,000 models will be available in December. Um, yeah, I mean, again, so it's like, do you think AMD prioritized, or it's not even really prioritized. I think you guys got to think about what it takes to ship these cards. AMD waited till the last minute to produce them because they were they didn't want leaks to get out before uh, Ampere showed what their performance is. And so they started producing them a couple months ago. And it's like, well, where do you think they get to first? Well, they arrive in big planes and boats to the U.S. And uh, it's pretty easy to ship things all over the U.S. But once you get into Europe, Israel... It's much harder to consistently ship things into these smaller countries with smaller roads. And I just don't know what to do anymore with like some guy, for example, like I'm in the Netherlands in this town and my store didn't get any. Yeah. Yeah. Supply lines are just harder there to get a, a supply there. And I don't know when that hasn't been true. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't understand what's going on. You know, uh, Dystopia writes in, hello, Tom, with all of your product, with all the product shortages this year, compounding with a higher demand than normal, do you think we may have an overreaction for the next GPU launches or at least much better stock? So I'm, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that question. Do you think, I think he's asking, do you think AMD or NVIDIA will overproduce, have, uh, overproduce in delay? Yes and no. I, there's just so much competition for TSMC's capacity now that I'm not sure. I, you know, I I don't know what they should have done because it's funny how I said a few months ago, I think AMD or NVIDIA, Microsoft and Sony, like I was like, launch the Xbox now, launch the PlayStation now, get it out now. And it's like, well, maybe I was wrong about that. People are just freaking out because they couldn't get one. Now, I don't know if that would have happened no matter when they launched with no matter how many volumes, because it's going to sell out no matter what. But I do, you do almost wonder, like, for instance, should they have delayed the PS5 launch a couple weeks so that it, so that there's they, more or, or is it just, is it really solving any problems? I'm not, I'm kind of torn on this. Like, should NVIDIA and AMD for RDNA 3 and Hopper push back the launch a month so they have a ton on launch day? Or is that really kind of pointless? Well, 
I, what does that, how does that benefit them is my question. Like, because if it doesn't, I don't see why they would need to do that. And there also is the added question of, will they overproduce? I mean, why would they, or how would they, there's a limit, like you have to remember, there's a limited number of things that can be produced at one time. Like that's, they buy the wafers years ahead of time. And that's all I got guys. Yeah. Like there is a physical constraint to how much they can produce. They can't just magically produce more because the fabs don't, (laughs) you can't just make a new fab overnight. No, it takes years and billions, tens of billions of dollars. I mean, and, and, and I mean, what I have been told too, that AMD actually did increase production of RDNA 2 by 10 to 20% in reaction to seeing how competitive they would be. But yeah, I don't, you know, yeah, that's still not going to make up for what NVIDIA is pulling right now, which I guess, I guess let us get into the shenanigans NVIDIA is pulling. Story number two, NVIDIA sells cards directly to miners. And I added this at the last minute, Dan, dot, dot, dot. Also, AMD AIBs prepare for big margins. So let's start with NVIDIA first. And I quote here, uh, NVIDIA released its earnings for the third fiscal quarter of 2021 this week, showing better than expected results driven by sales of its graphics processing unit, GPU chips. The first reported graphics segment revenue of $2.79 $2.79 billion for the quarter, beating analyst estimates of $2.1 billion. For the quarter in review, NVIDIA sold at least $175 million worth of new next-generation GPUs to Ethereum miners, helping the outperformance, according to a note from the RBC Capital Markets analyst, Mitch Steves. The analyst had guided sales to miners to come in at $150 million for the quarter. But it, yeah, so I think this is very, very important to point out, M. I've reached out to a couple sources about this as well. This isn't just from this article. NVIDIA is selling cards directly to mining firms. And that <laughs> explains so much as the final wrinkle. I updated the Ultimate Play article with another update, you know, a couple of sentences on it. Okay, so now, because there was this disconnect, like the overall numbers I reported were usually 75% correct, but there would be these shipment numbers from sources that are never wrong that I know are correct. Like I actually was sent official documents showing the numbers, guys, okay? (laughs) Sources that have never been wrong. But then the deliveries to some of these websites weren't as high. They're sending some of these directly to uh, to mining firms, and it's worth pointing out, again, I I double-checked this with a couple people. These mining firms commission and order their own coolers write the BIOSes themselves. They have people they've hired. They have the money to have people write a BIOS for them, a custom BIOS for their mining cards. And they make their own PCBs. So (laughs) they have their own PCB designers. So, and that's worth pointing out because I'm not saying in like Asus is sending some cards to mining firms, although certainly XFX was doing that recently, apparently. I'm saying literally NVIDIA is directly shipping these dies and that's it to mining firms that are building them themselves instead of giving them to AIBs for the consumer market. And as far as I can tell, they're using this to control the street price as well. So they think about it. They and this is just a fact. The cost to produce an average 3080 is $600. That leaves not even 20% profit margins at the $700 MSRP, NVIDIA likes usually 60% profit margins. So what they're doing is they 
release some cards. They're making AIBs play ball as much as they can to keep the price above 750 on average. For, and again, go to Newegg and look at reviews. The higher priced cards have the most reviews. Most of the supply <laughs> is the marked up cards, guys. Yeah, when supply starts meeting demand on Newegg, they're like, oh, well, we'll just guarantee these for 750 each or whatever it ends up being, whatever they're selling them to, to the mining firms. And then there'll be a, a glut of cards on Newegg again. And this is what they're doing to control the street price as far as I can tell. I mean, this is getting close to illegal price fixing, to be honest, at this point. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, they can just sell a shit ton of cards to my to mining firms at, all at once in bulk sales. I think that's that's just they see that as a good investment. I don't think they're don't giving know. miners as a big discount, though, because miners have to buy it from NVIDIA. So why would they get a discount? That's true. I, I'm just saying they can secure large orders. I guess I don't know how big of That's a discount true. or if they're even getting a discount for them. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So as far as I'm aware, that's what NVIDIA is doing. And I said it in this video that just came out. NVIDIA doesn't give a flying fuck about gamers, guys. This is just utter price manipulation while trying to pretend they're cheaper than Turing. They're not. They're not yeah. cheaper than Turing. The 2070 launched at $600. They are selling the 3070 close to $600. The 2080 launched at $800. That's what the 3080 costs. These are Turing prices again. <laughs> and they're just yeah. trying to make it look like that's not true to try to avoid bad PR. And trying to make it look like an uplift in performance at a lower, the same or lower price points is somehow impressive when that's just how tech works. <laughs> I don't know how else yeah. to put it. And so this gets us into part two of this, which is something else I talked about. And this was from today. I, I got some information from a few sources. Guys, I don't know what to tell you. It sounds like AIBs may be making some super de duper fat margins on non-reference 6800s and 6800 XTs. I had one distributor who's stocking them up right now for release this week. When this is coming out, probably the day this comes out, He's saying he's seen most of the cards. I'm just, this is one of the sources. So I'm not 100% sure. It's not like all sources have told me this, but at least one of my sources literally says the 6800 seem to be closer to $700, not 580. The 6800 XTs are closer to 800. That's unfortunate. <laughs> and, and, that, and the conclusion I came to in the video is that just don't buy these. This is ridiculous. Yeah, if a product is a good price at the price point that they tell you they're selling it for, and then they sell it for $120 more, don't buy it. It's not that hard. Yeah, it's like, I just don't know who, who this is worth it for anymore. You know, like at, at this point, my advice is, hey, if you can get a 3080 for under 700, good for you. You can yeah. get a 6800 XT for under, I don't know, even 750. I, I like it more than the 3080. Good for you. But... At the end of the day, I just, I'm not, you know, that's about all you're going to do. And and I hate to tell you guys, the demand is absurd. They're going to sell out. So just do what you got to do, but just make sure it's worth paying the price of an Xbox and a PS5 combined to get <laughs> one card that is certainly not twice as strong as these consoles. Yeah. And that's the good thing about um, PS5 and Xbox Series X. They control the price of the of their consoles so they remain at $500 both 
so there's not this runaway effect in pricing. Yeah, and and to those wondering, like, how much blame does AMD get for this? So, as far as I'm aware, in my estimate for the percentage of NVIDIA cards being Founders Editions this gen is like less than ten percent at least. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't put an exact number. It's yeah. almost nothing. They want marked up AIB sales, and they are the ones pushing for this. AMD, on the other hand, as far as I can see, probably around a third of the production is reference designs, and they will keep making them for months. So AMD is going to, I mean, watch their website, guys. AMD is not trying to mark up the prices. However, here's the kicker. AIBs are like so mad at NVIDIA right now because their quarter four earnings are way down because NVIDIA shafted them to sell cards directly to miners after telling AIBs they had to play ball with lower MSRPs on some of their models. (laughs) And so AIBs are going, you know what? Fine, we'll make up that in the back end by making big margins on AMD cards. And from the perspective of someone like Asus, for example, they don't see why they would sell a 6800 XT for hundreds of dollars less than a 3080 they're also selling. They see no reason to do that. And and I want to be clear about this. I'm starting to get bomb information. I had my own estimates. My own estimates put like the production price of a 6800 XT somewhere around $410 or something. As far as I'm aware, that's high, if anything. So <laughs> any of these 6800 XTs being sold at 800 have like a 100% markup. But and AIBs just don't see why they would undercut their NVIDIA cards and they need to make up for earnings at the end of the year. So that's what's going on. I mean, yeah, they need to make money somehow. I mean, I will say that's coming very close to legally committing price fixing. Yeah. Agreeing upon a price for no reason between two different products. Um, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong, I guess. And I'm looking at the comments on YouTube, and I'm seeing some people say, well, we know that, and this is true, I've reported this as well, that some AIBs that played ball with AMD better are getting the majority of the allocation stock, which is, again why you're getting so many mixed reports of how many AIB cards there will be. It's because AMD is giving them to certain AIBs and much harder, higher numbers. And that's because AMD said, if you want the higher allocation, you have to buy, pay up front for it. And some of them did. I don't know which one specifically, because one source doesn't want to burn anyone, but I'd say it's probably Sapphire and like, come mm. on guys, <laughs> you know, like, so, but like, and, and so people would say, well, with Sapphire not selling cards that are NVIDIA, wouldn't they keep their prices lower? And it's like, well, I don't know. For example, if Asus, these are examples, I don't know for sure what will end up happening in a couple of days when these prices, hit, when these cards release. But like if Asus is selling their 6800 XT for 750, why would Sapphire sell theirs for less? Sapphire's quality is very high. I mean, the only reason they would is if they think that that would allow them to sell that many more units. But right. So I would say I would expect some AIBs, maybe Sapphire. I'm not 100% sure, but I think we can guess. Sapphire is usually a relatively premium brand for AMD. So, Yeah, but they also tend to have the best price performance or up there. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, Dan, we, buy, we typically bought AIB yeah. cards that are the lowest price. They're usually Sapphire yeah, that's or PowerColor. And both of those are AMD-only brands, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, what I would say is it wouldn't surprise me if like Power Color and Sapphire were specifically had more models closer to MSRP, but I don't know. I, I, it just <laughs> And again, I'm, I, like I say in my video, I'm not 100% sure of what the final AIB prices will be, but now I've got multiple sources saying 
they're going to try to make up the money they didn't make on Ampere with RDNA too. So they, so the AIBs love AMD to be clear guys, but uh, <laughs> you know, and I guess the only other thing I will add, which I cover in this video as well is um, daily or other, every other day shipments of RDNA two cards to distributors. This isn't a thing like this, which I think people forget how weird this was that Ampere just had like no cards at launch. And then they were just like, bye. <laughs> they just disappeared for a month, and then there was a shipment. Usually, there's this constant supply. RDNA 2 of a constant supply of cards coming off the factory direct to distributors. So this isn't one of those things where it's like, well, I didn't get any on launch day, paper launch. I mean, if that's what you want to do, fine. But if you want a card, keep checking Newegg and AMD's website because they're going to keep coming in stock for the rest of the year. But I don't know. It's just... Yeah. You know, so I guess what I'm saying is good news, bad news. Good news, no, I'm I'm sure AMD is going to supply more Navi 21 cards than NVIDIA is going to supply GA 102 cards this quarter by a factor of two to four. I'm sure, 100% sure. Other people say other stuff, fine. Listen to them if you want. I'm sure, guys. Like, that's not <laughs> easy for me to double down on that. Having said that, the demand is also insane and it's just going to kind of be a constant trickle, you know? So you're just going to have to pay attention. You will have chances but it's going to be very frustrating. I think you're just going to see everything selling out no matter what. Some people will get cards for 700. Some people will get cards for 800. And nothing will ever be in stock for more than five minutes. I don't know what else to say about this, really. It is what it is. I, I guess it kind of comes as a surprise that uh, during this financial instability, people are buying shit more. But I don't know. People are also in their homes bored. So they're just buying stuff like crazy. I think that's what we've learned over the course of this year. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, what else are you going to do inside right now? You know? Yeah. If you have the money to spend it, why not? And, and I mean, think, I bet there's probably this pent up desire to play video games too. Uh, we've had months to watch Netflix stuck in our homes. So people are probably thinking, let's do a good gaming system. Yeah, that's true. VI Pass writes in and says, I want to know if you have heard anything about NVIDIA's response to the pricing and release of the 6800 series and performance. Do you think NVIDIA will dump cards on AMD's release date to improve any, to improve my chances of making a video card purchase? I don't remember. I think VI Pass may have actually gotten a 3080. I may have seen that in the Discord. But the answer is yes. That was the ultimate play. NVIDIA didn't see a need when they can guarantee sales, and now I know this, to miners you know, th this need to supply the gaming market with a bunch of cards when they'd rather the street price be higher and AMD hadn't released their cards yet. So the answer is yes. I'm seeing a lot of people in my Discord now saying they were able to get a 3080 or 3070 yeah. or 3090. I'm actually also told that if you really want a 3090, there's more supply of that than you might expect. So yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to pay $1,800 for that 3090... <laughs> It's slightly easier now. It's all yours. <laughs> FEO2X writes in, Hey, Tom and Dan, do you expect that NVIDIA replays the ultimate play with the 3080 Ti and 3070Ti that has a lower MSRP on the and a good FE version that no one can buy with marked up AIB prices? Here in Germany, the AIB 3080s range from 820 euro to 1150 euro, um, which is about yeah, $969 to Fourteen hundred when converted to USD. I have to say, this is the same pricing category as the twenty eighty Ti after it launched. Yep, that's not by mistake. Which I've heard again in Europe, it is just straight up twenty eighty Ti pricing. And I would say no. Like I don't know what the street price is going to be, and with the lengths they're going through at um, manipulating the price, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I, I would say I don't think they're going to 
screw around nearly as much. I mean, there will still probably be, I've heard there could be a founder's edition of the 3080 Ti that they manipulate and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. No, I don't think the stock thing is going to, I think when they launch it, they're going to try to supply as many as they can in January, which is when I told these cards are launching. Yeah. I, I, these, why would it, why would they keep doing this by then? I don't know why they would. <laughs> Pyroxide writes in and says, why would NVIDIA even bother putting 20 gigabytes of hot GDR6 on a 3080 Ti, a gaming card directed towards 4K gaming? No games that push the VRM limits are even playable at the settings that require. He's saying 20 gigabytes. Yeah, I mean, one of my best contacts, I was talking to him about this, how it just doesn't really make sense to us why they're going with 20 gigabytes. I always thought, it is funny though, I always thought the 3080 20 gigabyte might have a few more SMs enabled, just like the 1066 gigabyte versus the three gigabyte. So you could argue that's just what they're doing. They said, hey, look, we're going to have a CUDA core count, you know, close to a 3090, if not the 3090, I think it might be the same as the 3090, but then we're going to supply less memory on it to make a few extra bucks and I don't know, segment it from the 3090. I, I don't. I really thought it would just make more sense for them to either do 22 gigabytes, so they can say it's less than the 3090, but still get as close to the same bandwidth as possible, or that they would do 12 gigabytes to have the same bandwidth as the 3090, but half the memory. I really thought 3080 12 gigabyte or even a 3080 Ti with 12 gigabytes at like 900 makes way more sense than a one thousand dollar 20 gigabyte card, and the performance would be higher. I, I, I don't mean, know. I don't know they. 20 gigabytes of RAM, I think that will that will be a compelling selling point for them at $1,000. I think that's what it really comes down to. And I think, I, you know what? I think at the end of the day, the way NVIDIA looks at it is this. Either way, they want an ADTI to stay above $1,000. They never want it to be below 1000 again. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's yeah. less than $10 a gigabyte, so they don't care about the extra eight. <laughs> whatever more important to put it above a thousand additionally the 3090 when vram isn't an issue is only like 10 percent better than the 3080 so they probably figure you know what either way this is going to be stupid how close it is to both the 3080 and the 3090 we might as well give it a ton of vram so we can market it as having more vram than the 6900 xt i think that's really what it comes down to i mean it's going to be really exciting tom with the enthusiast market all of the cards being like within five percent of each other pretty much and i mean yeah and the range the variability of pricing is uh one to two x <laughs> yeah depending on the country or the model you're trying to buy your 3080 may be 600 or it may be 1400 dollars. <laughs> yeah it's just a wild west out there I, I don't know i don't know everybody Let's move on to the next story. All right, so story number three, a Bosnian retailer puts Gigabyte GeForce RTX 3060 Ti Eagle on display. Um, and I quote, earlier this month, we reported that a set from video cards uh, that a retailer is already listing the unreleased graphics card from Gigabyte uh, almost a month ahead of launch. It was certainly an uncommon occurrence to see graphics cards on shelves that soon, especially now when availability is so limited. Well, now we know, though, guys, that availability is just so artificially limited. There were no reports from Samsung having yield issues, at least not to the extent of the availability problems we had. So this explains it. They, they have these cards and they're just sending them to <laughs> miners or just not releasing them yet. But anyways, uh, continuing back to video cards. Fast forward two weeks and we have another retailer bragging about a new GPU arrival. Interestingly, these cards are also Gigabyte RTX 3060 Ti. 
and also the Eagle series. Clearly, Gigabyte must have made a lot of these. CPU Infotech posted a photo of these cards on Facebook, confirming the launch is expected soon. Well, yeah, I believe it's December 2nd or something. I think they've been reporting early December, late November for a while. In terms of specs, we are looking at 4864 CUDA cores versus around, I think it's 5800 or something on the 3070. Um, and the same 8 gigabytes of memory. The RTX 3060 Ti is a dual fan design. And yeah, it launches on December 2nd. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, based on these specs, same bandwidth, same amount of memory to the 3070, but 20% less cores and 9 to 15% weaker, depending on the resolution. And at yeah. $400, well, we'll see if it's actually $400. My guess is this will climb close to $500 um, due Ho- to demand. Hopefully the mid-range can stay, because this is solidly a mid-range card then. Hopefully they can some- keep that to $400, but I don't know. We live in a wacky world, so... Well, yeah, and you know, I w- I will say that I've heard from a couple people that they expect to have much more 3060 Ti stock uh, than any of the previous launches, including the 3070. And the 3070 had like 4x the launch stock of the 3080, if not, which I guess some would say four times zero, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, depending on the country you're in. So look, if, if it's at $400, I don't think this is a horrible card. I think it's going to beat the 2080 Super. Yeah. For about the price of what the 2080 Super was earlier this year with the same amount of memory. You know, at $400, this is firmly 1440p or 4K turning down some settings territory. You're okay with that. Eight gigabytes is fine with me around here. I'm just not okay with it once you get to, again, like when Radeon 7s were 600, you know, selling for six to $700 a year ago. I mean, it's like I bought a mid range card. Uh, arguably a mid-range card three years ago with eight gigabytes of RAM and... The 3090? Oh, the 390. Yeah, the eight gigabytes should be a... uh, That's a mid-range amount of RAM at this point. And the 3070 just feels feels weird with only having that much. I don't know. It's... Yeah, yeah. And yeah, here it's fine. This is mostly a 1440p card, I would guess, anyways. Although you can do 4K with it. Let's be honest. You know, and again, it's like, so then what should they have done with the 3070? They can't give it 16 gigabytes. And I would say, well, first of all, they could have. I think I, <laughs> I keep saying this. A better Ampere lineup, which again, in I've only heard that NVIDIA is scrambling with what to do with their lineup. In hindsight, NVIDIA should have gone higher or lower. They should have just said 750 for a 3080 12 gigabyte and then like cut it down to a 3070 10 gigabyte for 550 or something like that, right? Yeah. And and then they should have just said, no, the 3060 Ti is full GA 104. Hey, you want to charge 450 for it? Fine. But that's what it should have been, I think. Yeah. So, but and I guess the only other thing I will say is, I mean, look, AMD needs to, if 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 they can, put as much allocation to RDNA 2 as possible and get Navi 22 out because from what I'm seeing, Navi 22 is going to make this look far more ridiculous than it made GA 102 look. Again, if prices ever actually are around <laughs> MSRP for any cards, it's all relative. But I know that Navi 22 looks about the same performance as the 3060 Ti while using under 200 watts while having 12 gigabytes of memory. So that could destroy it. And honestly, I'm forgetting out this point is the 3060 ti is that an officially announced card yet or is this just i mean we have boxes we have in picture, saudi arabia and bosnia we have pictures of it, it so we know it's real but and the, i would say it's effectively official okay. now yeah okay i, I just want to I, I just which to the forgot. point if it's 
which I would say this. I'm starting to question the December 2nd launch date. Wait. Yeah, that's what, nine days away? We're a week away. (laughs) What's going on? Yeah, I would think this was is more mid December than if they like have a a na- little announcement thing like next week or this week even. Yeah, maybe I'm forgetting. I actually said when I believe in a recent video when the 3060 Ti when I was told, but I mean, yeah, I, I would say I guess we'll see, but with it already showing up on shelves, I guess they might just announce it and launch it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's weird. Their, this is so bizarre. It's not their flagship product, but I mean, it, it is, I think their are maybe most marketable product because for uh, sure the 60s are in 60 ti's always sell the best i feel like but i don't know maybe there's not going to be a big launch event for it because it's just a mid-range card Filovin 17 writes in and says hi tom any new info about the rtx 3070 ti price and release date how will it compare against the 6800 and 6800 xt and 3080 if it launches for 600 won't it just be Better to buy. Oh, if it launches for six hundred, want to be better to buy the thirty eighty. I don't know if you meant to say it the other way around. No, I mean from what I've heard, the thirty seventy Ti may just be a ten gigabyte GDR six X card with like ten percent less shaders than the thirty eighty. I think effectively it could, and I've heard six hundred is the planned price. No, I think it's a, it's basically a six hundred dollar thirty eighty. Yeah, I, <laughs> because I don't they know. need to to compete with the sixty eight hundred and sixty eight hundred XT. And it's like what I brought up earlier. It's getting a little ridiculous how saturated this uh, performance segment is with cards. Like if the 3070 Ti comes out and a 3080 Ti comes out, like what? So we have four four cards from NVIDIA that all effectively have the same performance in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know. It's just getting ridiculous. Yeah, and... I think people need to remember what NVIDIA effectively did with Turing. They had the 2070 for like 500. They had the 2080 for 800. And then they um, they had the 3060 for 350. And then when the 5700 XT came out, they launched this 2070 Super that's effectively a 2080 for 600. And then they, launched, they sandwiched that between the 2060 Super, 8 gigabyte, which was like 5% weaker than a 2070 for 400. <laughs> And then they just lowered production of the 2070, or I would argue mostly used it for laptops. Yeah. And- so so it's like, why would they not maybe do this again? Because they don't like admitting they lost. They'll just launch another card that's effectively the same thing. Yeah, and you're right. Like they, they might just never officially announce it, but they might just kind of phase out production of stuff like the 3080 and 3070 way earlier than they wanted to, or than they intended to, I should say. I mean, didn't that kind of happen with, I'm forgetting exact cards, but they launched some supers and didn't they quickly discontinue certain super cards too because they realized that that wasn't a good price point? I, like, Oh, I don't know. I think there was some weird shenanigans going on in, in the 1660 area just because yes, there yeah. were 5,000 versions of the 1650 and 1660. I, I don't remember. On Honest to God. No, I there don't was rem- like 10 cards in that area. No, it's just like... Yeah, they might just flood the market with a bunch of new models and then kind of phase out certain models that aren't hitting and are hitting, that aren't hitting. To well. which, which I told you this, one of my sources said to me, uh, did the 3080 even officially launch anyways? <laughs> just what the argument I've been making, like if NVIDIA really wanted to go all out in a response, dude, just 
redo your lineup now. Like you haven't delivered that many cards to gamers. Do it if you really want to. Yeah. But no, I, I think they're just going to sandwich these cards in. Like there's just going to be five percent performance differences up a two thousand dollar product stack for some bizarre reason. For some reason. Shifty McHacks writes in and says, what will the RTX 3060 Ti ray tracing be like, would you say? Equivalent to a 2080 Super or better? Well, if I remember correctly, the 3070 was literally 2080 Ti ray tracing performance, and and that's it. So I would assume better than 2080 Super, yeah. but not 2080 Ti. So yeah, slightly better, like 10% better. Around the same, though, pretty. Well, 10% is noticeably better, but... If it had the same, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen is that for the most part, Ampere's ray tracing performance boost simply comes from brute force. And the only reason they can claim, which I would argue they're kind of just lying either way, but the only reason they can claim the 3080, or should I say the 3090 has a 70% ray tracing increase over the 2080 Ti is because well, the the 3090 isn't really making use of all those CUDA cores because of scaling issues. Yeah. Like you just can't add more cores and get linear scaling. But if you really bog them down, then you get you waste less of the performance. Depending on how you look at it, you waste less of the performance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I believe you're right when it's like compared to rasterization, the performance is pretty much just brute force. I think it's... I think per SM though it is technically better that like seventy percent better per SM ray tracing than sure Turing and that's where the number comes from. Well, yeah, but each SM has double the CUDA cores. Yeah, I know, I know. So Black Box writes in and says one thing I've seen left out of the discussion surrounding the new GPUs is VR performance. Which specs make the biggest difference for VR core count, VRAM? The 6800 XT performs better than the 3080 at 1440p. Should this translate to better VR performance? Same the Valve Index. I mean, basically, these days, VR performance is just either ultra-wide 1080p or ultra-wide 1440p, effectively. Mm -hmm. Like, if one is good at ultra-wide 1440p gaming, so just say in between 1440p, but really closer to 1440p and in between that and 4K... Um, that's what you want to look at. The only difference being that some of these cards can like do things where they don't double up as much, where they, they save some performance, not rendering things both eyes are looking at at the same perspective. Mm-hmm. But I'm honestly not caught up on that. I would just say if one card's stronger, it's probably going to be better for, at uh, VR. Although there have been times in the past where NVIDIA had some tricks they were doing to have a bigger gain in some games than others. All right, Soul Destroyer 199 writes and says, Tom, when listening to the latest podcast, Dan and yourself were talking about how AMD tested various data bus widths. Um, like, yeah, so with Big Navi, like I know they tested a 3D 4-bit model. A bit loaded, but my questions are, how do the likes of AMD and NVIDIA go about testing their engineering samples to see if they are worth mass producing? Is it just running benchmarks like independent reviewers do? Or is there other specific tests that they carry out? What makes them go, yep, this is the design that we take forward. <laughs> Cheers for all the solid work you guys put in. Really enjoy the podcast. Yeah, I wrote some notes here and I, 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 I emphasize, I am not an expert on this. If I could ever get someone on, like Frank Azure, someone on from AMD, that would be great to ask them if he would disclosed that they tested these other models, I guess, but I mean, yeah. they did. Um, but, he's, but And remember, there were like Ice Lake 40 core models, Ice Lake server models, like three or four years ago. They mm-hmm. just couldn't make them. 
you know? So, and now they just announced a 32 core. So, eh, you know, like, like, so like, let's not pretend they don't do that, but, it, but I would imagine they have a soft design for the overall architecture. This is RDNA two. This is, you know, typically the ratios we go between these, you know, whether it's ROPs, you know, stream processors, these, you know, all these other features that they have. And then they have hard design teams that say, okay, based on this, Overall architecture, we're making this die. Really, all different dies are somewhat of different architectures at the end of the day. And so they just test these configurations. I assume what they do is they order a wafer from TSMC with different configurations, and then they test them and see, all right, in theory, we thought this is how this would perform. Is that how it performs in practice? And I think they just came to the conclusion. And again, I think we need more testing at ultra high resolutions. Um, I still haven't really stumbled across that yet, but that. You know, with the Infinity Cache, our cards just perform wildly better. And it's cheaper for us to just make the card 20% bigger, but then also save space on the bus, right? Yeah. And be able to go with 16 gigabytes of memory instead of having to choose between 12 and 24. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, obviously, I'm not a prototyper or something like that, but I, I do have to, like in my everyday life, like it, it's pretty much what you describe. It's, you have to do small tests to uh, scale up production so you can do things at a high at a larger scale and yeah you need to make one or two models test how they work and then go forth with the one that whatever model or whatever experiment or protocol works best like that's what prototyping is <laughs> and they have yeah. and there has to be prototypes. Yeah, and like all the car companies do it too and I worked at General yeah. Motors they're like we're going to try this engine this weight and it's like oh it turns out this this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and everything needs to be prototyped before it can be mass produced, unless you're an insane person. <laughs> so story number four. NVIDIA has unpicked AMD's new game-boosting feature and opened it up so Intel can play too. And I quote from PC Gamer, AMD announced a few key features for its upcoming Big Navi graphics cards ahead of launch one of which has now been picked apart by NVIDIA in what can only be described as a very AMD way, where AMD smart access memory is a proprietary system only to be available to members of the super elite Ryzen 5000 and RX 6800 club. NVIDIA is offering a version that is potentially open for all. Oh, how times have changed. The AMD Smart Access Memory feature promises up to an 11% higher gaming performance across select titles by utilizing both of the company's new CPUs and GPUs working in unison. The basic theory is that currently the way gaming PCs are set up means that in Windows-based systems, the processor can only gain access to a small part of the graphics memory at any given moment. Actually, AMD talked about this in the webinar today. They said, yes, like 256 megabytes. And so when you get to the point where you have graphics cards with like, what is it, like, 3264x the memory of what Windows can access at once. Mm -hmm. Why are we not letting Windows access more of the memory at once? And which also improves multi-threading performance as well. Moving on back to the article. That will only happen with AMD's new 500 series motherboards running PCIe 4.0 and the aforementioned Ryzen Radeon Silicon. It also needs the latest motherboard BIOSes as well and the latest GPU drivers. Speaking with NVIDIA, however, it wants to widen its own version out to Intel hardware and specifically PCIe 3.0 systems too, as the feature working in the labs right now, so they say, but NVIDIA hasn't given us a final date for when it's going live, though I'd be surprised to see the RTX 3080 getting support for the feature before the start of 2021. I mean, yeah, that's only a month <laughs> from now at the end of that. Uh, but so, yeah, what did you think of this feature? Uh, I think it was... Uh, listen, we talked about that for a while. Uh, 
for AMD to be recognized as a premium brand, they need to be the leader of some new uh, product. And oh, now they, I, I mean, of some new feature, and now they are. And that would always mean that uh, NVIDIA would try to find some open source uh, counterpoint to it. it. It's interesting to see the tables finally get reversed, though. You know, that's something I said in my 6800 XT Review Day video, where I said, you know, you're seeing NVIDIA... Now, you're seeing NVIDIA really scramble with some of their mid-range products all of a sudden. You know, Gamers Nexus, his version of the NVIDIA's Ultimate Play Report focused more on GA106 and how NVIDIA is trying to get the MSRP below $300 for some models, <laughs> despite that being sold basically at cost and AIB is not being happy with NVIDIA. Um, you know, they are doing this because AMD's challenging the crown. And it just goes to show this whole theory, which I think made sense, that AMD only should target the mid-range because that's what most people buy. You can't control the market unless you control it from the top. And that is what Intel did. And it's obvious now with NVIDIA working on an open feature for other people. This is what happens when true competition returns. There's only competition if you're actually going for all of their products. Yeah, and especially the products that sell the stack. Like, yeah, maybe most, sure, most people buy the 2060 or the 1660 Ti, but they, a lot of people get attracted to that because they see, oh, NVIDIA is the good brand or whatever. And I think there's, it's not happened yet with graphics, but I think there's going to be at least a few years where AMD will, might just clearly dominate the market or the high end at least. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I want to add on to this too. Again, from the AMD webinar, there was some interesting stuff said today. He said that they have no plans to open this up to earlier hmm. Zen CPUs. So I guess my my Zen 2 and your Zen Plus are shit out of luck for now, Dan, unless eventually prices come down. Not betting on that. <laughs> um, anytime soon, at least. Um, so, and, and AMD is saying that it was simple in concept, but that it actually requires a lot of work with motherboards, you know, on the driver side, mm -hmm. so that this was something they decided to roll out in a full product launch with two new products. That's why, according to AMD, obviously, uh, I would be surprised if there wasn't some incentive to make you want to buy the new products. But from AMD's perspective, what they said in the webinar today is that that's why, so they can focus on the drivers for just the newest products and roll it in that way. What I would say is he he kind of directly said, we know, in, he, I think he directly said, we know NVIDIA is saying they're going to bring it soon. They don't think they will. Like mm -hmm. AMD openly said, we think that's unlikely, that you're going to see this supported on next-gen Intel products, on next-gen motherboards or BIOSes with next-gen cards. So look, if NVIDIA really wants to go for it, I bet they will. But the way AMD put it is, don't buy into this thing. They're just going to add this 10% performance in a month. It might be a while and a lot of work. Having it working in labs on one system is not the same as having something with no bugs in it rolled out to a bazillion different configurations, especially, by the way, and they said this for some of their products, like some of the things they worked on in Ryzen, they could just give and share the R&D info with the Radeon team, whereas NVIDIA is now going to have to work with Intel to get this to work. That's a lot harder. Yeah, I, yeah. or they would need to buy a lot of Intel products to get it to work, which I think it would just be easier for them to collaborate. But yeah, I, 
like the 6800 with uh, Sam enabled beats the 6800 XT in a lot of games. So it's uh, it's definitely a feature NVIDIA needs to figure out how to counter. And yeah, they said there were specific games that they haven't, you know, put out official numbers for yet that showed much that showed greater performance gains, especially at higher resolutions. Again, mm-hmm. it it's allowing you to access more of the VRAM directly with all of your core threads at once. This has some pretty big performance implications. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is I hope NVIDIA opens this to everyone on every system as soon as possible. But I do, I do find it interesting that AMD wasn't like, oh, we have no print. You know, they didn't go, oh, we're considering it. They've never been afraid in the past to be like, we're considering things. <laughs> That's like the easiest PR answer you can give. They openly said no, that it took a lot of work, and that they're skeptical someone else is just going to... Like, this is one of their secret weapons they didn't tell anyone about that they put a lot of effort into. And they would be surprised if NVIDIA just got this working. In a couple you know, months. And, and I'm all... Yeah, and you know, I find it interesting too. Nvidia's wording—they said we're seeing similar mid-single-digit performance gains. That's interesting. Nvidia, AMD actually sees a ten percent boost in a lot of games, ten or more. So yeah, so I find it interesting. Nvidia said we have similar single-digit, like lower single-digit performance gains. I think Nvidia is just going to pretend, you know, that their version giving you a four percent boost is the same as AMD giving theirs an eleven. Um, I mean, that's a funny way to to sell it. (laughs) Yeah. TSBCFS writes in and says, is there a reason no one seems to have focused on the fact that NVIDIA has badmouthed TSMC time and time again over the last decade? I mean, me and Adore TV talk about it all the time. Uh, but he goes, how much of TSMC's denial of NVIDIA has to do with being in a place where they don't need NVIDIA anymore? Who was their largest, among their largest customers in 2016 nanometer? I'm not sure if they were, Apple was. Uh, but maybe it's just because I dislike NVIDIA, <laughs> but their partnerships tend to go bad. Uh, the original Xbox, then the PS3, then Tegra and phones. They just never... And, and I have pointed this out too, that people tend to not use NVIDIA twice in a row. Um, why wouldn't TSMC just be another case of a company getting fed up with NVIDIA's bullshit? Well, I mean, there's some definitely some truth to it. NVIDIA is fed up. Anytime something went wrong, it was TSMC's node's fault, despite NVIDIA literally not following TSMC's design yeah. guidelines. I mean... Y- yeah, they. I think the way you put it is good. They don't need NVIDIA. I mean, TSMC doesn't really need anyone. TSMC is the, <laughs> T, I would say, overall, more so than AMD, more so than any company, TSMC is the market leader of the semiconductor space as a whole. They dictate the terms more than anyone, I think. Yeah, they absolutely do. And, it's, and I think NVIDIA just thought they could get away with whatever they wanted. And I really, I think it is very clear they thought they were going to get at least part of their lineup on TSMC. And when they got no, they were like, oh God. And they just <laughs> had to rush and overclock. And you know, yeah. it is what it is. Well, it's the holiday season and you know what that means. Lots of travel for this holiday season and hopefully for a more open 2021 i bought a studio laptop for mobile editing and of course well it didn't come with an open license of microsoft office and 
Those can be very expensive, especially for the professional version. But luckily, I was able to get Microsoft Office Professional for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description all right story number five Intel targets 28 watts with Alder Lake P. So this is something that I've been starting to do more and more on Twitter. Like basically, if it's a thing I can talk about for five to 10 minutes, it tends to be a story in the podcast, in addition to the stories that I think we have to cover. If it's something that I can talk about for 10 minutes or more, and I think it's important, and I have a point that I think is unique to make, right? Like when we talk about stories in Broken Silicon, you're often just hearing, this is our opinion. But I don't know yeah. that this is in, a, you know, I tr I've always tried to only do videos on subjects where I'm like, I don't see anyone else saying this. But then there's stories where it's like, I want to be, I know something before other people do, but it would be a one minute video, if we're being honest, unless I rambled. And this is when I just do a leak that I try to fit into a single tweet. And that was this mm -hmm. Alder Lake P thing. So again, follow us, you know, follow more as long as dead on Twitter, guys. Um, but I'll just quote myself on Twitter here. Not a giant leak, but I thought I would confirm the P tier of Alder Lake supposedly just formalizes a 28-watt class CPU for mobile with core counts targeting 28 watts. This is now an official tier between the 15-watt U and the 45-watt H class. And I said, honestly, it makes sense to me as a sweet spot for laptop performance. Intel had been focusing on 28 watts with Ice Lake, Tiger Lake, and a few other models for a while. So this really doesn't surprise me at all. I just think it's notable because they're calling it something now. And there are a lot of like leaks and drivers of Alder Lake P and a lot of people going, oh, is this like their server Adam P? Is this an all Adam? No, it's guys, it's just 28 watts. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not some big interesting thing. The only other thing I will say is that I've seen some people like speculating on what the combination is. I'm pretty sure there's going to be two. There's two plus eight. So two Golden Cove, eight Gracemont Adam cores, and then one that's six plus eight. Mm -hmm. That's the dies that I believe they're, or I think they're cutting down actually the six core into the other one. That's it. Like I, and I think, and I think they, if they go with this hybrid threading thing, I've been told they might go with, I think, you know, then they would say for the two plus eight configuration, they would say, what would that be? So two cores with four threads and then eight cores. They would say, Two cores, 12 threads. Yeah. And then they would say another one, six cores, 20 threads. Yeah, that is how math works. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know. Do you, what do, you, do you have anything to say about this? Uh, I think the power range makes, I mean, the power point they're going for makes sense. I mean, that's, if I'm remembering correctly, that's kind of one of the ones that AMD has been going for, right? Um, and I don't know. I'm glad to see that they're going for interesting core configurations with like the two plus eight cores. Now, I don't now, have too much else to say to that. But I mean, I just think it's interesting because I, it makes a lot of sense. I think when you look at 15 watt CPUs, obviously they're probably technically the most efficient in their 15 watt configuration. I mean, you look at Tiger Lake and it's 15 watt configuration. It's more efficient than when it's allowed to go to 28 watts. But it's not 
that it gains a decent amount of performance, sometimes 30 to 40% while using like, you know, a little more than 50% more energy. I think that's kind of a sweet spot though in itself. And I think 35 and above watts is often way out of the sweet spot range. So I think it makes sense to just focus on 28 watts, especially in setups, you know, like I'd, I think it, it, you know, just save the seven watts, make it never throttle. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and it's kind of similar to like, I have next to me here, my new studio laptop that I used to edit that video when I was in Nashville recently. And it has a 35 watt six core that they find tends to run, or I think it's maybe like tends to run as well as the eight core model and like competing laptops. And it's because they just put a really good cooler and they said, Hey, if you cool the six core enough and let it use as much energy <laughs> as it wants, it actually outperforms the eight core in a lot of competing notebooks, you know? And I think that's just like, yeah. screw 45 Watts. Give me a 28 Watt that never throttles and the laptop almost never gets hot. That's what I would prefer. So let's move on then to story number six, which is uh, one of those console mashup stories. So, both the PS5 and Xbox Series X launch, and yep, they are outselling last gen, especially with scalpers. So <laughs> I thought we would talk about this because we never got a chance to in the podcast yet, Dan, really. Um, I guess we did the fanboy winter die shrink where we touched on some of it, but, yeah. but no, like this is the console launches. Uh, I talked about this heavily in the last broken silicon with nx gamer listen to episode 75 we get into really deep conversations looking at performance comparisons not just between the xbox and the playstation but between the both consoles which are very close in performance right now and the desktop and we come to this is important to emphasize and don't argue with me guys what the listen to that podcast episode and go to the part where we compare frame rates of ampere cards to frame rates and settings in the consoles. And we come to the conclusion that in most third-party games, the consoles are performing like an RTX 3070. At the very least, the PS5 definitely is. And, you know, it, like I just saw today, uh, 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 what is it, Black Ops Cold War comparison for on Digital Foundry. And yeah, both consoles are running at almost 1400p at locked 120 hertz um, with ray tracing turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, these consoles perform pretty close to a 3070, unless, of course, it's Watchdogs Legions with its awesome GamesWorks black box that seems to just kill <laughs> AMD performance, even in a console. Um, pretty cool. But that's the whole thing. So I don't know. I mean, what do you have to say about these consoles launching? I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you about it yet, really. Uh, there's not too much I can have to say, like, from personal experience yet. I, uh, I, I mean, I haven't been able to get one yet. Either um, of them, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I, the most I can say is people <laughs> clearly want them because the PS5 goes out of stock the second it gets put back in stock at pretty much every store I, I'm looking at online. And, yeah, that's the most I can say from personal experience right now. And yeah. I think, And I think the... I don't know. I think the first year of sales, at least, is going to be crazy. Yeah, I think they're, you know, I know specifically, and I only know because I have exact numbers on the PlayStation 5, that they are easily outselling the PS4 so far, and that they are trying to get as much capacity to make more PS5s as possible. And then I also know, at the very least, the Series X is so far outselling the Xbox One. I just don't know how much. 
Yeah, and we'll see. I'm curious how I'm curious how much uh, those sales are going to are, are going to like keep going out yeah. into the future, be sustained. Um, but I, I mean, if I, I mean, when you look at right, eight hundred dollar thirty eighties that are like forty percent better than an entire console for well, if it's the digital PS5, which let's be clear, most PCs don't come with a Blu-ray player. Like <laughs> it's half the price for three fourths of the performance, and you know. Features that you don't get on PC sometimes yet. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, and I, I think it's just, yeah, it happens at the beginning of every generation, but PS5 and Xbox Series X clearly deliver best price performance, like, <laughs> the, like with a bullet. Like, there's no real arguing. There's, I, I, I actually find it a little funny. I haven't really seen any of those articles like, your how to build your console killer PC because there they can't there isn't one <laughs> yeah there isn't there, one, there isn't one it's and I think this is so far a far more not only a far more interesting console generation not just comparing the consoles to each other but also certainly comparing them to PC I mean look the PS4 was just a seven eight seventy and the equivalent of like an underclocked eighty three twenty you know like that's yeah. all it was. <laughs> you know, there wasn't that much analysis. The in- most interesting part was they had this built-in backup ARM processor with its own RAM for streaming and sharing, which wasn't easy to do when quad cores were the standard on PC. So that was cool, I guess. It pales in comparison to what we're seeing right now. The only thing I would say is it's just like, you know, unfortunately, they don't seem to be maximizing the uh, SSD in either console, unless it's a first party game where, you know, I, I managed to get a PS5, couldn't get an Xbox Series X. And it's surprise, guys, they're still all out of stock. I can't get one still, though I've tried. Um, and yeah, and it's like, yeah, the, the, at least on the PlayStation 5, the exclusives, like Demon Souls is like loading areas in second. Like it's insane <laughs> how there's no loading screens on these at least on these exclusives anymore. It's unfortunate some third-party games, especially <laughs> backwards compatibility games, don't seem to do jack shit with the SSDs, but whatever. What do you expect, I guess? Yeah, like some some, la- uh, some last-gen games are still taking like a minute to load on these, right? That's yeah, which doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I, I don't understand how that makes any sense at all, but whatever, I guess. Um, so I guess I don't know what else there is to say about the consoles, except that I do. I am genuinely very impressed, more impressed than I was last gen. And I think, you know, it's worth considering getting. I, I know that this is the part where someone would say, well, which one do you recommend? And I'm like, look, I'm, I think at the end of the day, when I look at most comparisons, guys, PlayStation 5 is outperforming the Xbox Series X and it has exclusives. So. This whole world's strongest console has amounted to bullshit. It is not. The Xbox Series X isn't stronger. And, and I think there's I think any excuses someone would make it be like, imagine if NVIDIA said the 3090 was going to be stronger than the 6900 XT. Then it came out and it was performing worse, and they still kept marketing it as stronger. Yeah. Like and- any other world, right? Like I'm a fanboy if I don't point out the PS5 is outperforming the Xbox and this is a gaming hardware podcast, that's the one I'm going to recommend then. It, it has better audio. It, it loads next-gen games faster. And at the end of the day, we mostly game on PC. Is there anyone listening to this that doesn't already have a gaming PC? That's what's going to run your old games better than either console. Yeah, and 
I think when we were talking about this, I thought at least at launch, it would be m- more trading blows, like some mm-hmm. games the P- the PS5 outperforms. Maybe even in most third parties, I would think, I-, I wouldn't have been surprised if the PS5 quote-unquote lost, depending on what stat you're looking at. But it seems like, based on it's what I've other seen way so around. far, it's pretty unambiguously that the PS5 and third parties t- is usually winning in performance. It's worth emphasizing that in the overwhelming majority of games, they're incredibly close, though. But yeah, it, there are yeah. some instances where it's like clearly not ambiguous, like in Valhalla, where they were using higher levels of... They're using higher settings for a few of them on the PS5 with more stable frame rates. Talking about a lot of these performance differences were, are, is splitting hairs. Honestly, most of them point to RAM limitations, in my opinion, that they couldn't run as high settings at a high resolution or a frame rate, just because, like, again, the segment of memory is something that I've been told talking to developers is a headache to work around, you know? And it's like, look, 3.5 gigabytes of the 16 gigabytes in the Xbox Series X is used for the OS. Mm -hmm. So that leaves, you know, 2.5 gigabytes of the 6 gigabyte system segment for Guys, there's no game where that's really enough anymore. So that 10 gigabytes of that bandwidth, they're going to have to pull away 20% of that bandwidth, probably at least to, you know, supply that uh, supply that end of the memory management. And so it's really not a bandwidth advantage as far as we can tell. And that's really what surprised me. I expect certain games to favor the PS5, certain games to favor the Xbox. Not really, no. I guess I, the, the Xbox performs slightly better in a couple modes in uh, Call of Duty. Although, yeah, and technically I'm, I'm at sure the there's... high refresh rate mode, the PS5 did better, but then the lack of variable rate, uh, a variable refresh rate, um, free sync, we'll just say, is still a weird thing, which I don't know what to say about that. It's like, I don't know why there's no free sync support at launch on the PS5. <laughs> I don't know why there's only limited 8K support. They put 8K on the box. I don't know. I think these are things that they realize just don't affect most people at launch, but it is a little ridiculous Sony doesn't have, you know, I mean, they put 8K on the box. Come on, guys. Yeah, I think they're, well, and I think I said that is the, uh, their reasoning is literally no one has an 8K monitor or none very, of these games are running people. in 8K either. Yeah, and I don't know what game really will run in 8K on the PS5. I mean, there will probably be a few that. 2D games, I don't don't know. know. We'll see. (laughs) Well, I think what you're seeing, too, is that, thank God, on this next gen, they didn't double down on 4K30. Watch Dogs Legions does, and I've thought about it. I'm just not getting that then, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not getting your shitty 30 hertz game. And it's nice to see that, you know, like with, that we're seeing, because again, like, Ubisoft acted like they were going to make all their games 4K 30. Everyone said, are you kidding me? And now you're seeing dynamic resolutions with this good TAA interpolation to 4K at a locked 60. And man, when I say locked 60, go on Digital Foundry. Demon Souls is locked 60. And (laughs) you look at games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla on both the Series X and the PlayStation 5, and it's locked 60, usually around 1800p. Locked. Just locked. Except for a couple scenes on the Series X, but most of the time it's locked. And that is something I hope both consoles this generation target is locked frame rates, no matter what the frame rate is, whether it's like 30 for a game, like 60 for a game or locked 120 for a game. I hope it's locked. I'm tired of frame rate hiccups because that's worse than like slight dips in resolution like that, like you would do with a dynamic resolution. 
because with dynamic resolution, in my opinion, you don't really even notice a change a lot of the time. So, and also I hope there's very few games at 30 hertz because 30 hertz has been a kind of sucked for like 10 years now, but. Well, yeah, and I think that some people would think that this is some kind of an inconsistency when I say I'm glad there's dynamic resolution because I've unapologetically said, I think 4K looks good. <laughs> I think it does yeah. look good. I think yeah, I does. can notice it. People say they can't. I can. I think it looks really good. But there certainly are diminishing returns, guys. And when I say I like 4K, I'm not saying you should ruin everything to get there. And with dynamic resolutions, like again, we just beat Gears of War 5 on PC, and I thought dynamic resolutions made it in the resolution debate over. Like it's nice to be at full 4K when you can, but just. Getting to 1800p is most of the way there, right? Yeah. And so, it, or I think, I think it is at least, um, you know, and so well, it definitely is. And so, if you have it above 1440p and often close to 4K, that's good enough. Uh, you know, I don't, I hope next gen there's none of this, like, you know, oh, let's turn it down to 1080p for this. It's like, you don't need to. Just have it always above 1440p. And most people won't be able to tell the difference. Again, especially with the customizations and the silicon they have for better checkerboarding and you know um, upscaling features that you don't, which I still think is kind of perplexing why you don't see that in PC that much yet. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just, it looks so sharp. Every game looks so sharp and it's locked 60, at least on the PlayStation 5. Again, haven't been able to get a Series X and I just like, I don't know, guys. It's just it's just hard, though, because then it's like, I think you should get a console, and it's like, well, yeah, but you can't. You can't get anything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a waiting game. I, I don't think... A, I think a lot of people wanting to get consoles, probably, myself included, are probably going to have to buckle down and wait until, I don't know, it might be as late as, like, March before you can get one. All I can say is the same thing I've said about RDNA 2 supply. It's not this weird, bizarre shifting of stock that a- NVIDIA is doing with Ampere. It's a constant, steady supply, right? And so mm-hmm. I've been told, keep checking the websites. They are showing up. But scalpers are buying a lot of them. So actually, let me put this down as its own timestamp because I don't know. Did you see this article I added there um, with scalpers? Mm-hmm. You know, I, you brought this up to me before that a scalper group had 3,500 PS5s or something. Isn't that what you said to no, me? No, it's couple- just like, no, it's just like I see, um, I, I see like if you look on Facebook Marketplace, there's these assholes with like, like dozens of PS5s. Yeah. yeah or Xbox Series Xs. Well, no, but so this article here, Dan, there is a scalper group of people working together to bot buy as many as possible and they've stockpiled 3,500. Centrally, and they're distributing them on eBay for like $1,400 flat. So this is something where I think what you said to me before a few days ago was, yeah, sure, it, it, maybe it's only 10% of scalp, you know, things are going to scalpers, not even 10%. Maybe it's like only 1% are actually going to scalpers in reality, but this is still a problem. The problem I have is seeing a centralized group working together with their own box and stockpiling them and sharing the profits, almost like mining. Yeah, this is way worse than just a guy getting a dozen and selling. Because if they're able to do this, what's to stop them from ever stopping ever? Like, why would demand ever catch up with supply if there's this set, this gray market group of people centrally buying up these consoles? Why would they stop next year? 
Why would they yeah, ever stop? What if they? What's stopping them from buying a million PS5s and scalping them? And this is making me realize, dude, these companies need to act. This is getting absurd. Do something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why they, why they're able to do this. Like, add in some fucking security measures so bots can't buy up your entire stock. This is ridiculous. And the onus is also partially on the consumer. If people don't buy them, they will fo- be forced to reduce their prices. Like, don't buy them. Don't buy a $1,400 PS5. Don't buy it. Well, and I also so, somewhat encourage people to do what they've been doing on eBay or, or Facebook groups is, fine, do it. Bid 50000 and then cancel your order. Screw with them as much as possible. Create headaches for them. Because this is what we can do, you know? And, and, and again, you know, I think you're realizing too, well, this is this... The problem with not being able to buy consoles in stores, there's no way to bot buy. You know, at least people had to actually camp out and can only get one and then scalp it. Like this only selling online, I think, has shown. I mean, God, NVIDIA didn't even have Capchka on their website when they sold Ampere on release day. Like, puts, I mean, so I guess so part of this will probably just be solved by these companies not, again, realizing how big of a problem this would be ahead of time, but. Again, this is what worries me. Just the fact that there are thousands of PS5 stockpiled in one location by a group of people working to scalp because unless there are drastic measures taken by Sony, Microsoft, AMD, and NVIDIA, I don't know what would stop them from doing this for the rest of the console's life. Like, why not stockpile 100,000 somewhere? Yeah, I mean, and the only thing that would stop it is if supply and demand were closer to one another, which will naturally happen over time. But yeah, probably not until quarter two though. Yeah, this is bullshit. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it sucks. I don't know what to tell you. I would just say what I've said in my video that came out while we were recording this, they are supplying more cards. Even NVIDIA is starting to shift stock to gamers. Now try to buy them. The stock's going to keep coming in. Don't yell at the sky, but also, Unless you absolutely don't care, don't give in to the scalping on any of these products because it w- there are more opportunities coming to buy these cards. And I don't know, it just sucks. It mm-hmm. sucks. <laughs> Crispy Bacon writes in and says, Damn, when are you getting the PS5 and do, you, do I have to send you one? Which edition would you like in the event I can? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> if you can get me one, I want one. And then we'll certainly disc- pay you back immediately. Yes. Uh, <laughs> disc version, right? Yeah. We like the old... It's like, are we ever going to buy any other Blu-ray players ever? It's nice to have this for long time's sake, just a 4K Blu-ray player. I like it. Not to mention yeah. backwards compatibility with your disc games. I mean, yeah, that's also a big part of it. I mean, how else will you be able to have the joy of Sony trying to install both the PS4 and PS5 version at once and confusing the shit out of you? I mean, Which I'm just saying that's an issue with the PS5 that, right now that I'm like, what the fuck, Sony? But that, that's the thing I'm most excited about is for some reason, Sony allowing you to launch both the PS4 and PS5. And it still happens sometimes. If I put Borderlands 3 in the console, which honestly, the PS5 version of Borderlands 3 is awesome. It's like 4K60 locked. It looks fantastic. It adds split screen modes because it can just handle it now. But for some reason, sometimes when I put the disc in, it tries to install the PS4 version. And that's really cool. 
Yeah, I don't know. Again, there's there's some weird teething issues on these consoles at launch. That's, that's the one thing I will say is I don't think everyone needs to rush out and even get these consoles unless there's specific games you want to play or whatever, right? You have your own reasons for wanting to get one. I think that's like both of these consoles have some pretty silly, like I think Quick Resume isn't even all the games on the Xbox and the UI isn't even updated from the last gen. So like <laughs> there's plenty of things which make you go, these consoles... Look, they, they work way better than previous generations at launch, I think. I mean, I don't remember any... By the way, I don't remember any console generation where you could run your last-gen games at higher frame rates and resolutions ever. Yeah, <laughs> So this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it, that this I, works I just, at all. But there are teething issues. This is, this is like... I don't think everyone... Again, that's why I don't buy them for a scout price. I think they're a great price performance, even with these teething issues. It's just... They're not... They're not don't pay $1,000, guys. Yeah, they're not fully cooked yet, but... I do They're more quick than Demon. before. I do want to play Demon Souls, though. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. Well, speaking of Demon Souls and exclusives made by Bluepoint, let us move on to story number seven. So this is just, I'm going to talk about the PlayStation 5 exclusives I know are coming out, guys. Um, you know, it'll be in the title of this podcast. I've been hinting at it, not subtly at all, in Die Shrinks for months. And in videos and pod, other open podcasts, me and NX Gamer basically just openly confirmed one of them with our <laughs> jokes. I, I'm, I'm just going to say it. So throughout the past, well, I mean, throughout the past six months, I've been getting hints at what some of these exclusives are. One of them was God of War, which I want to be very clear. Um, I've heard some people suggest another tech tuber told me about God of War. No, I checked the DMs. I told him. So I have proof of that. <laughs> I'm not going to name names because I don't know if anyone actually said anything and I don't know where this thing comes from. No, no, no. I told another tech tour about God of War. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the DMs to prove it. I will say that there's been other tech tubers who have told me some things too. And that's because we exchange information. But God of War was when I told the other one. Um, and some of these I've been forced to secrecy. But now I have other sources telling me these as well. So now I have multiple sources telling me some of these things, so I'm just going to say it. Silent Hills, that sounds almost entirely confirmed. I say almost entirely again, because it's still like I don't, I haven't talked to someone working on the game and stuff like that, but it sounds basically confirmed that indeed they were able to work out some deal to have Kojima work on this game. And I think there's a chance they may reveal it, as I not so subtly hinted on Twitter to Jeff Keighley. I think they may reveal it at the VGAs, guys. And go on. No, I mean, eh, I'm excited to see that if it happens. <laughs> I, I At the very really... least, I know this is something they're working on, whether it's revealed now or not. Yeah, I know. I'm just, oh, I'm always incredibly excited for whatever Kojima is doing. And, and, and the same goes for um, God of War 2, which is funny to say, God of War Reboot 2, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, uh, this game that I said before, was going to be revealed. And then they did reveal it in the presentation I said they would. They've had a demo for a while, and I know someone who's seen it. So uh, I want to be clear that they only did a teaser because from what I'm told, they saw the Halo Infinite demo and said, we don't need to show this game yet. <laughs> and honestly, when you look at the sales of these consoles, why would Sony reveal anything yet when they can't even keep up with demand? Right? Yeah. Like, they don't need to. They have no problem selling these consoles, guys. <laughs> yeah, better to uh, space out reveals to keep uh, enthusiasm up. 
Exactly. So that, but that's supposedly something they may show this year as well. Is the God of War actual gameplay? It's been ready for a while, guys. I don't care if you believe me; it's true. Also, MGS remake. Now, one of my best sources <laughs> was sure. I, I, I. So uh, this is where I just say, yeah, I've known about a Metal Gear Solid remake for a while, guys. Um, I have been very openly hinting at it, but I couldn't confirm it. Until I have other sources tell me, and now I don't know it just from the original source. So MGS Remake, I'm confirming it, and I'm told it's made by Bluepoint. And in fact, I'm told that they've been working on this for three years. I mean, That they were working on this simultaneously with Demon's Souls. We'll, we'll see if that turns out to be true. But uh, yeah, this is that big. And that's why when it's like this launch exclusive Cerny's been working on, I said, I always was told that Cerny was working on some exclusive. I just didn't know what it was. Another source mm-hmm. said MGS. I was told I couldn't say MGS. Now I can. Because <laughs> I have another source saying it. So the fact of the matter is, the reason it could have been a launch game is because they've been working on it for three years and there's big gameplay demos people have seen already. But they just, again, they don't see a need to release it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and they might as well polish it. I mean, how many times, I mean, how many times has Cyberpunk been delayed? It was delayed again and no one said it could be. Now it's delayed to December. They don't see a reason to reveal nor confirm release dates for these games. More polish is always better. They feel like they have enough exclusives when, frankly, they have no competition in the exclusives department. Yeah, and Blue Point's the the studio to make it. Like I think Blue Point's clearly the best at remaking games out there right now. So I'm really excited to see what they do with MGS. Well, and here's the thing too: when you go back and look at Blue Point's history. You realize there's a lot of Metal Gear Solid remake work in there. And you realize that literally with Shadow of the Colossus, they made it on PS3 first. And then they also remade, they ported it to PS3. Mm. And then they also remade it with a couple new add-ons for PS4. So then think about it. They ported or these games to PS3, Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. And now they're remaking it for PS5. This is the same pattern of Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you listen to recent interviews, they also talked about how they only wanted to take on projects because they're a smaller team. I believe they're only about one to 200 people and that they're kind of being used. They, they didn't want to, I think Digital Foundry had an interview with them. It was very interesting how they talked about how like they did like, Metal Gear Solid re, uh, re, remasters on PS on PS2 and PS3 first, and then they wanted to work on I am PS3 first. I mean, and then they wanted to, and Vita, I guess, and then they wanted to work on remastering Uncharted because that's easy. It already looked good. They're basically just uprising it, and making the frame rate stable, and then they worked on Demon Souls because they didn't need to change any of the gameplay. But it would be a huge undertaking, just literally remaking the game in a new engine. Um, and then the, they see Metal Gear Solid as the one they can't screw up the most, so they wanted to make that one come out later once they had more experience. So they, you know, they remaster PS2 games, then they worked on remastering PS3, and then Demon Souls was a full remake. They're probably going to be acquired by Sony soon, and Metal Gear Solid is their big, big, big showcase of what they can really do. Because look, remaking Demon Souls, it's still the same gameplay, but it's a new yeah. engine. Remaking Metal Gear Solid 1 is not just a new engine. They're making big design choices now. With uh, MGS, they need to they need to really start making like creative decisions to because how how are you going to uh, remake 
MGS on a in a modern console, but keep the soul of what MGS is. Which because is let's a, be clear, I believe it's like MGS Five controls. I don't think yeah. they're going to. I mean, if anyone's played the original Metal Gear Solid, it's, it's frankly almost unplayable. Like, wouldn't it be surprised if a Gen Z picked it up and went, "This is cancer." And I'm like, yeah, the controls are pretty bad in some games back then. I mean, even MGS3, it for a lot of people, would be too inaccessible to try to play at this point. Like, I, I played it and I love that game, but I don't think a lot of people that would give it a chance right, but at this point. Yeah, it, it's... Metal Gear Solid 1 is insanely unplayable. <laughs> I think even Kojima said he went back and played it and said, this sucks. <laughs> So I, I'm really excited to see whatever they do. I, I mean, I played the uh, Shadow of the Colossus remake by Blue Point, and I think, yeah, it's a it's an in betweener between like what Demon Souls was and what they had done prior. Like, it's I don't think it was as full of a remake as what you're talking about with Demon Souls and what what I've seen with Demon Souls. Like, Demon Souls, they seem to have pretty much just completely rebuilt the game from the ground up, yeah. just keeping. Keeping the core mechanics and attack timings. Yeah, which they, is they, core, they ported the AI and attack timings, which is funny that they say they just literally ported the game code for the AI because it seems smarter. But maybe that has to do with the just the fact that it's an, a locked 60 hertz. And so the <laughs> AI isn't making... I mean, my God, some of the... That's the thing, Dan. Like, Dan, you'll know what I... I don't know how many people listening will know what I'm talking about. If you played Demon Souls, there were so many times, like, in, like, World 3, the Towers of Lasher, there's these gargoyle enemies. They just, like, jump off the edge. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would just straight up <laughs> jump off the edge. Like, Dork! like they would run at you and then turn and then just jump off the edge and die. And you go, okay. They don't do that. I haven't seen that happen once in this game. So they say they ported the AI. It's smarter if it's just because it's a more stable platform at 60 hertz. That makes sense to me, actually. And also, it's updated geometry, so their pathfinding is probably just naturally better because of that. Well, and that's kind of a thing with pretty much all from software games is if if you know how to fuck with the pathfinding correctly, you can just make enemies jump jump off of ledges. So that, which it's not to say that doesn't that can't happen. There are ways to lure yeah. enemies off the edge in this, but they don't just do it on their own anymore. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, and by the way, guys, for those listening, the gargoyles can fly, so they would just like jump off the edge and just not flap their wings. Sometimes it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, there are there are some fun quirks uh, in Demon Souls, the original version, at least. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I don't know. So this is all interesting, and, that, and all I got to say is, remember, I, they've been working on this MGS game for a while. Based on my information, if it turns out wrong, well, whatever. And same with Silent Hills, as they've been working on that for a while. God of War, guys, this is they they've had a team working on this since I think what, when did God of War come out? Was it early 2018? I want to say 20, yeah, 2018. God of War came out April 20th, 2018. So people saying that oh, God of War two couldn't come out this soon, late 2021. That's three and a half years. I mean. Th- November would be three and a half years. Dev timelines have been a little bit longer than usual this gen, and hopefully next gen they get a little bit shorter. Which I well, think that was the point of the PS5. They, they said they built it yeah. to be easier to program. Um, yeah, so, so there, there's a good chance that'll come to fruition. So yeah, three and a half years isn't insane. And and, and I, look, I don't. I want to be clear though. It would not surprise me if some of these games were delayed to 2022 because look, let. You know, talking to a source, it's like, so wait, are these actually coming out next year, though? And he's like, yeah, no, seriously, next year, they're just going to be like Ration Clank, then uh, Gran Turismo, then Returnal, 
then Deathloop, then um, Horizon, then God of War, then MGS, and Silent Hills is there somewhere maybe as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if they delayed some of these, but from what I'm told, their intention is to carpet bomb the Halo release. Like literally just every few weeks have a new AAA exclusive coming out next year. That Like this is their show of force. That they're like, no, no, no. Not only are we doubling down on exclusives, we've been holding back games that could have, like we're really, you know. <laughs> yeah, and we'll see how that pans out. Because I think depending on how the Xbox is doing next year, I think it might be prudent for them to extend it out and release these games over two years. I don't know, though. I don't think there's any point in releasing. I think one exclusive every two months would be a good cadence. Yeah. It'd be an insane cadence. Six AAA games a year that are exclusive would be insane. I I think like the once every three to four months is a pretty good cadence that they've generally had this generation, even if it was a little not perfectly timed three to four months apart. But that was like the average. But it's funny, too, because when you look at it, people look at like, you know, Microsoft buying Bethesda and they say, oh, you know, once these all, you know, whatever they have, the insane amount of studios get working, they could release a exclusive every two months. Yeah, that's Sony's plan, too, guys. <laughs> like, that's that's why they that's why they bought Bethesda. Yeah. You think Microsoft doesn't have some informants or something at Sony? <laughs> well, and Bethesda, based on what we know right now, isn't going to be exclusive. There's it's probably going to be mostly timed exclusives, if I would have to guess, though. There might be an exclusive from Bethesda I know about. Okay. <laughs> so let me say that, too. These are the games that I know are coming within about a year from Sony. That's why I'm talking about them. I am starting to get hints at some things from Microsoft, although I assume they'll also come to PC at the same day and date. So yeah. I don't worry if you're a PC gamer, which is what we predominantly are anyways. But... I have heard about one that sounds like it could be pretty huge. So I will say that. But I'm not going to talk about it because, well, you guys can probably guess which company it is. Probably not fucking coming out for five years or something. (laughs) All right. Tragaholic writes in and says, when will we start to see games build new console hardware in mind? When we do, how do you see performance deltas of current gen hardware in those games changing? Um, I mean, I, I think... I think when you look at a game like Ratchet and Clank, it's arguably built with a next-gen console in mind. And I think Demon's Souls is probably the prettiest game I've played in my life, although certainly it worked on PS3, so you can't argue it was built for the PS5, even if they do some tricks with summoning in the SSD. It's still not. It's still clearly not. It, it would work on a PS4 if they wanted it to. It would. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it worked on a PS3 again, so of course it would. But, um, uh, I mean, I think... I think, and you know, when you look at some things Deathloop and Returnal may do, they seem to emphasize this instant respawn feature. I, I don't know. I, I, I think at the end of the day, though, the truly ground, besides Ratchet and Clank, maybe, the truly groundbreaking next-gen games are going to be 2022. And then if you go to the Xbox side, it's, this, it's really the same story. I mean, Halo Infinite's on the original Xbox. It's clearly not built to fully utilize the Series X in any manner or respect if it's running on a whatever the... I don't even know the original Xbox is <laughs> running games at at this point. So I'd say 2022 is when you're going to see some maybe earth-shattering games. And again, as I pointed out, and you know, I think Cortex said the same thing, I, I do think that there's games that may be possible with this, the IO and the SSDs and these consoles, certainly the PS5, that may not be possible on PC for a while. But we'll have to see, and we won't really know till 2022. I mean, yeah, it, it'll take a while for 
it's going to take a while for these consoles to be fully utilized, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, the one thing I will say, too, uh, before we move on to the next story, is when I look at these consoles, or when I look at the PS5 using it, playing Demon Souls and playing a couple other games, I don't see the need for a pro. It's not like before where you had games struggling to be above 30 hertz in 1080p. This is, it's fine. Dynamic resolution, always above 1440p. It's fine. <laughs> this <console. Yeah. laughs> Like, I don't see the need for a pro that much this gen. I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. My info is that Sony didn't want to launch a PS4 Pro. They just did because they said it would be stupid not to, and that they really don't want to with a PS5. I think it would be smarter to release a PS6 in 2024 instead of releasing a Pro in 2023. Because uh, why? Yeah, probably. To do I, what? <laughs> yeah, I think, look, I think in hindsight, it's pretty evident that even the PS4 base model was a little bit underpowered for, uh, was the a little CPU bit underpowered. man, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't see that being as much of an issue. Like, yeah, it's lower clock than most desktop CPUs, but it's still, what is it, 3.6 gigahertz, the PS5? It's 3.5 and the PS5. 3.5. Well, yeah, and you know, NX Gamer did some testing, which is really interesting how he found it, where he tested Crisis and the CPU performance, and it was getting more stable frame rates than the strongest CPU, than the CPU, than an eight-core CPU at four gigahertz plus on desktop. And so whatever Sony's doing with their PS5 that he tested, a lot of it he said is probably just the software. I, I think these consoles' CPUs are going to be able to keep up with PC really, really easily for the next five years. Yeah. I don't like it would require like 16 cores Zen 3 being standard for there to be any issue <laughs> with the software advantage you have and the IO handling background tasks that you don't have on PC. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, let us move on to story number eight. Apple's M1 chip launches is a new Intel born, is what I put here. And I'm quoting here from PC Mag. Those currently using a MacBook Pro or Mac Mini for work, where margins of speed and wait times make a big difference, are the main beneficiaries of what the M1 could offer. If you're a Media Pro, you'll be thankful for the decreased video encode and Photoshop edit times. The Handbrake 1.4 Beta and Cinebench R23 results are those running natively, and you can see how much of a difference this makes. See individual reviews of these laptops for deeper breakdowns. Eventually, all major applications will be converted to universal apps, but there will be a waiting period. Apple noted that a universal version of Adobe Photoshop is planned for early 2021, Adobe Lightroom for December. It's worth noting that even though em through emulation, though, the M1-based systems outpaced Intel models in some cases still. The apps that run natively beat them by a bigger... By a much bigger margin, showing what's possible on the M1. The main takeaway here is that for, for professional users, it may be worth waiting to get in it on the M1, but the chip alone is worth it in a vacuum. Its maximum potential will not be realized for many applications until the universal apps are developed and released. Your willingness to try the M1 will hinge on this more than anything, but given how much it has impressed us, we can recommend it to all but the most Mac-resistant shoppers. So... I'm quoting from them. I looked at a few reviews and videos. A lot of people were asking me to talk about the Apple M1. The fact is I don't feel comfortable over, overly giving my giving too much of an opinion on it when I still feel like there's we're early and this is new and there's a lot to digest. I don't have you had time to look at the M1, Dan? Do you have any opinions about what's going on here? Um, I looked at the Anantech review and I, maybe I'll send that to you as another source because I thought it did a pretty good job of showing various benchmarks. Send it, baby. 
And yeah, it look it looks it looks very possibly very impressive. Although some of the names of their uh like table of contents are funny like benchmarks their benchmarks title is whatever is available because there's not a, a lot of available tests <laughs> to look at yet. But it looks like in single it might be the single thread king or close to it, which is pretty crazy. Um it looks like it's beats in it looks like it has pretty decent multi-thread performance uh, for some applications, obviously. Like, they compared it to the 5950, and in some multi-core workloads, that the 5950 was the only one that went... Uh, I mean, single-thread... I mean, eh, multi-core workloads, that was the only thing that beat it. The graphics seem to be comparable to discrete graphics. Um, like, I believe it tied a 560X for gaming on Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So it looks potentially very interesting, and it also looks like it stays generally below 20 watts. <laughs> so that's my basic summary is it might be really, really good. And it's impressive that Apple, like this is their first CPU they're bringing to the market, right, for uh, laptops. It looks really yeah, good. Yeah, and I'm looking at the de- the design on Wikichip, and it looks like, yeah, eight cores, eight threads, but then it has a neural engine and a GPU and a lot of dedicated hardware for different tasks, which is really the direction I was thinking we need to go sooner rather than later that I would hope Zen 4 is going to do, although based on what I'm told, not as much as I would want, that eventually there's no point in just giving you 64 cores. Just put a few cores dedicated to encoding, like an ASIC. Put cores dedicated to this type of workload, that type of workload. At a certain point, you're going to start saving more die space, having specific cores all doing different things. I mean, shit, that's what the PS5 is doing. Also, I will say the way they're marketing it is weird. Uh, they're marketing it as a, as far as I could tell, it's a 16 core with eight uh, compute threads and, I mean, eight compute uh cores and eight gpu cores yeah that's what they're saying so i don't know if that's just how they're advertising it or if it's just some weird architecture that they've designed probably that uh, some weird architecture they've designed well yeah, when they build it you know for their apps on mac that they can you know then they this is what's possible this, this yeah. does make sense why they're doing this yeah and it looks it looks potentially really good because you have to understand, too, you're looking at, like, Zen 3 being built for x86. So I guess it's on Linux, you know, and Windows, but predominantly used on Windows. And they have to just put up with, frankly, Microsoft's incompetence to make an operating system that utilizes cores well. Whereas Apple can not only make sure their operating system does, but they know the exact SOC that's going to be used. And they can make it all work hyper, hyper efficiently. Kind of like a console. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, that's the advantage of having a closed ecosystem is they can make things work exactly how they want them to. Where with Windows, it has to work with thousands and thousands of variations of uh, components. And Microsoft seems unwilling to, without AMD screaming at them, <laughs> use cores. Well, I mean, the amount of work I've heard from AMD people that had to go into making Windows ready for Threadripper 64 cores launch. Like they were not in a good mood. <laughs> yeah. And the one last thing I'll say about the M1 that I can think of is I'm curious how well it will uh how well it will do in multi-threading overall because it's it, I think it only has four big cores, four little cores, no hyper threading. So yeah. that's 
that's not a lot compared to other CPUs, but maybe I guess the results speak for themselves. Yeah, and maybe with their specific suite of apps, that doesn't matter. Yeah, so I don't know. I think that's all we can really say. I think people want some big, broad brush strokes on what we think about this. And all I can say is the numbers don't lie and the apps being tested. This thing is impressive. A lot of it, though, I think comes with the advantage that they're comparing their SOC custom built with their operating system, fully optimized against Zen 3 on Windows. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, look at NX Gamers testing. In the closed ecosystem uh, on the PS5, they were running crisis frame rates more stably than it was Zen Plus, but it was Zen Plus clocked like 30% faster than the PS5 CPU, which is supposedly Zen 2. Yeah. Having this closed ecosystem that's optimized seems to have real advantages over insisting on using Windows. I, I mean, yeah, of course it does. Is this something where Microsoft does need to figure this out, though? Like, they have all these programmers. Do something. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I hope they do. I don't know what you do to solve this problem, though. More blue screens? More blue screens, probably. More blue screens. Tick Dickler writes in and says, I have little technical knowledge, but have developed an interest in computers spurred on by the quarantine. An eGPU and Adderall in that order. A proud Apple shill, my i9 MacBook, like the woman I date is expensive, too young for me, and comfortable to, and to, wait, need to be comfortable with taking out in public and far too hot for the performance I realistically get out of it. Thanks to your, cha- okay, buddy, calm down, calm down, calm down <laughs> here. Thanks to your channel, I've become just knowledgeable enough to confidently say incorrect information. And that is why I come to you asking about Apple Silicon. Because at least from my limited understanding, it seems like Apple will just have a definitive competitive advantage over like everyone else for the foreseeable future. Because one, their R&D could be a sovereign nation. Yet they're insanely, their their market cap is insane. They're so rich. Uh, Two, they're big enough and high margin enough to actually get away with bargaining with TSMC, laughing at NVIDIA. So I just wanted to get your perspective. Assuming Apple doesn't want to turn everything into an iPad, and that is a big if, do you think they could be poised to start dominating performance? And finally, Jesse Owens, the PC Master Race. Please validate my lifestyle choices too, if you can. All right. First of all, this guy really put some effort into this reader mail. This is what I'm talking about, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it, but like really a, a thought out discussion that's a, that's a little pithy. And I say that just also because, like, I don't, I just don't have the time with having hundreds of patrons to randomly comment on everything, everything everyone says in the Discord. Nor am I interested in arguing. Usually, when I've had a beer late at night with you guys, you want to talk to us, put some thought into reader mails, and we'll respond. But um, to answer your question, Tick Dickler, I've done and said in multiple broken silicons that I could. This is an underemphasized narrative that could emerge where Apple becomes the next Intel, depending on how things go. This is just the start. It's not going to be next year or the following year, yada, yada, yada. But based on what I am told, speaking to a couple of people, Apple is using ARM as the basis for their architecture. This is kind of also an answer to people worrying about NVIDIA buying ARM. It's the basis. They think they have enough licenses for the editions of ARM they have licenses for now to do whatever they want. They're building on this. They don't see this chip as an ARM chip. They see it as Gen 1 Apple CPUs. Yes. 
And they plan to build this into whatever they want from here. They have, they say they have the IP from ARM, the licenses they need forever. Everything else they build on their own from here. This is just the foundation, and the foundation is based on ARM. Yeah, and I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't think I don't think Apple could completely overtake Microsoft unless more apps started coming over to Apple because the big compelling reason why you don't people don't get Apple products is um compatibility. What, compatibility, yeah, like and yeah, there's just not as many applications you can run on on Apple products. It's if you want to play video games, frankly, you kind of have to have a PC. Sure, there are video games on Macs, but there aren't nearly as many of them. Right, and I mean, I, I I'll just speak for myself. I, 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 if if Windows didn't have freaking blue screens and horrible Windows updates that are shoved down your throat, I would have no problem. You know, overall, because I actually like the way Windows is laid out. It's not just because I'm used to it, guys. I'm telling you, I like the layout of Windows 10 a lot overall compared to the, I mean, like the horrible, what the nightmare that is Apple's multi-window screen. Or yeah. just a million windows are always open. You can never close them. Finding things in the file system, I don't think is as easy as on my, on Windows. It's not just because I'm used to it. Some of it might be, but I, I legitimately think some of the things with Apple take longer to do. But if they fix that and all my games work on it, eh, eh. Why, why not switch it? I, if Microsoft doesn't catch up with like, I don't know, just generally working. <laughs> yeah, but, but I guess going back to what he said, look, at the end of the day, right now, they have one really impressive SOC that seems to punch far above its weight, especially in terms of power usage, you know, or performance per watt. So that's all we can say now. Will this be that way forever? Will this turn into a nightmare for Microsoft I don't, and Intel? Because again, I see AMD not as threatened. AMD's 5950X is ahead. It is, <laughs> you know, Intel is the one where it's almost like you could see them falling apart because of Apple more so than AMD would. AMD has their own custom AMD AP, you know, because they have their own GPUs they can combine into console. Like they have their own way of doing things. Intel is the one and Microsoft are the ones that need to be really worried about this. But that's all we can say for now. But yeah, don't rule out Apple as five years from now owning global foundries, ramping up for like like spending on catching up on nodes and like make like I don't know we'll see. Well, and that would lead to if it got bad enough, that would probably lead to maybe another possible trust busting case where it's like so you control no. the operating system and <laughs> all of that. So that probably wouldn't be great if that happened, but we'll see. Yeah, jury writes in. Sorry if this is a dumb question, but how big is Apple really? Like compared to other companies in the tech space, are they a bigger force in shaping modern nodes than Intel? Yeah, I mean, listen to the what was it? I think it was a Daniel Nenny episode of Broken Silicon where we talk about how t a lot of TSMC's success comes from partnering so much with Apple because Apple said, "Hey, assholes, stop trying to double density and performance every year. We don't care. What we care about is that you actually have a new node." every year. <laughs> the node's 20% better, good enough. 50%, even better. But we'd rather you make sure there's something, whether it's 10, 20, 50, or 100% better every year, because we want a stronger CPU to come out for every phone we release. We release a new line every year. 
We need you to consistently stick to that. And that's way of thinking about things has allowed to much more mini innovations at TSMC that has spurred them to kind of catch up with where, I mean, they haven't caught up to Moore's Law, but they've almost restarted Moore's Law after a hiatus. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that way of thinking. So yeah, they shape the tech space in a big way. And that's a specific example. Yeah. And listen, like in 2018, I think they were the first company to hit a trillion valuation of a trillion dollars. And this year they hit two trillion. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're big. They're very big. And they and even though we don't do much with them necessarily, yeah, they're shaping the landscape. Uh, Swagetti writes in and says, how do you see the future of ARM on Windows? The battery life and performance of the M1 best in class for the average laptop user. Again, remember, it's not ARM. It's also Apple's ARM. Remember that, guys. Will x86 catch up with the M1 in terms of performance and efficiency while ARM designs drive x86? Again, remember, Apple that made this, though, with ARM IP. Don't just assume every ARM chip will be as good as this. Um, additionally, does Apple have a significant advantage to Qualcomm and other ARM chip companies? Yeah, they have like a bazillion dollars. Not yeah, even a bazillion. Trillion used to be hyperbole. They have trillions of dollars. <laughs> I mean, and look, this is, their fir- this is the first time they put a, their own CPU into a computer, and <laughs> it's one of the best single-thread threaded and it's pretty good multi-threaded like that's impressive so we got two more reader mails and then i need to go collapse as we are recording this later than usual and i haven't eaten dinner yet and i'm going to die soon so vi pass writes in and he says defining value in a gpu the days of straight fps counts defining the strongest card and performance for value seem to be coming to an end Productivity workloads, feature sets, gaming performance at different resolutions, not just one resolution, and settings make it extremely difficult to decide what the best card for value because the value is based on individual needs. I find myself going over benchmarks and performance information from five different reviewers as performance varies, setups vary, testing, and going over the features. I game at 1440p at 144 hertz, but I also do productivity applications. Do reviewers need to change the way testing and evaluation is being done to start accommodating all the features and different workloads? Or am I forever stuck watching hours and hours of benchmark reviews? Is the only value metric FPS per dollar, or do they need to start incorporating other workloads? Yes, 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 and yes. I, I think so. I think Hardware Unbox does a pretty good job of like, oh, we did it, just put it on Ultra, oh, you know, in 4K. Oh, we're not just going to test the CPU in, you know, 720p. You know, because they actually put more thought into realistic workloads and settings you would use in your games and their benchmarks. And that's why I find the results to be the best most of the time, honest to God. I really can't recommend Hardware Unboxed enough. But, and, and I think you see other channels do interesting things. You'll see Gamers Nexus do some pretty interesting comparisons at different <laughs> settings. And, and I don't know. I don't, I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, to get a full picture, you're just going to have to watch a few of them, though. Um, and that's why when I do my reviews, I don't see a point in benchmarking 20 games. I'll benchmark like five that I think are good average. And again, when I did that for the 5,700, my results on average were within 2% of hardware unboxed just using five games. You know, you go to him if you want the 30 game benchmark. What I did is I actually tested out the new graphics cards for over a week in multiple games and said, hey, these are the things that actually were noticeable. You know, I noticed in this game, the frame rates felt more smooth. I, I noticed I didn't get as much of a performance hit with these settings in this game. And I'm not really sure what else you can do, except we need more testing like that, like really long-term testing where people give you a more qualitative answer. The other thing is, I think 
there can't be a channel that just tells you <laughs> that just tells you the thing you need to buy. It is uh, the onus is on you to seek out the information. And yeah, I think it, reviewers need to do a better job with some things of demonstrating various tasks, but I don't think they can just provide a simple recommendation because there's <laughs> so damn many different um, reasons people have a PC. I don't, I don't remember if it was hard OCP or there was one website that I found it was interesting. They tried, they would benchmark it like max settings at the highest resolution of the time, whether it was, I don't remember back then, 1600p or 4k. And then what they would do is they would see what settings they could turn down to get to what they thought was the best image quality at 4k 60 locked or something. So they would say, you know, with this fury, we didn't have to turn down this or with Pat, with Maxwell, we found that turning down a few settings gave us a much bigger boost in performance. And so really, well, maybe the Fury X wins by 10% in 4K at this, you know, in this game. If you use the settings you would actually use to get a locked 60, the the Maxwell card looked much better. I think more testing like that is what we need to start seeing. And yeah, that's an interesting way to do testing. I, I think is it does give you more valuable information. It's just harder it's harder to do and it takes a little bit more creativity i think because and it's harder to sell i think to some degree because people want to see what something does at max settings they want it to be easy to digest but it's getting more complicated that's why i said earlier in this episode i'm saying it again i'm not really satisfied with the ray tracing comparisons i've seen on websites so far i don't think it was done well enough because when i look at some of the results people are putting together in my discord i'm seeing uh, the story is a lot more interesting about which one's better at ray tracing than I think a lot of reviews are leading people on to re- uh, believe. And that's why it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to try to get a hold of a 3080 and a 6800 XT at some point, or at least a 3070 and a 6800. Because I really want to like take a couple of weeks to play with these things and see, like, do I actually turn on ray tracing in any of these games in practice? If I do, which one at the settings I actually play at runs better? Because I think that's the more important questions. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the final reader mail. Faceplants writes in and says, Hey, Tom, since you've transitioned to running the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel and podcast full-time a few months ago, more than a few months ago already, damn, (laughs) what's your favorite part of this new stage in your professional life? We know YouTube is a pain sometimes. Fanboys are entertaining and frustratingly stupid. But what do you enjoy the most about maintaining the channel um and the community i mean i don't know i i think i started this channel because i couldn't like i said earlier i could not believe the amount of times or i said this to you i don't think it was in the podcast damn that like i would like when nvidia said the Fortnite boom and i and i saw that and i was dying laughing like no they're selling these to miners and they're calling it the Fortnite boom isn't that right everyone and then almost no one else said that. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, am I the only one who thinks this is obvious? And it was. They were lying to investors. They are getting sued over it. So I started this channel because I was already putting hours of research into WCCF Tech Commons responses. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know. It's So I, I guess it's just been rewarding to actually use it for something. <laughs> right? And now it's just a lot more work. Like I work, I mean, you guys have seen what hours I'm up at. I'm like always awake and I'm always working on a new video or two hour podcast. And it's just because I actually enjoy it. 
And and it just gets even worse because now that it is actually my job, I have even more of a drive to do well out of it. You know, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'd say my I don't know. My favorite part is just like these things that I thought were obvious that over and over other people were insane. Just actually getting the rewarding feeling of doing something with things I've noticed. Yeah, that makes sense. I can't speak about maintaining. What is going to say, Dan? Come because on, I've do been do on that. this since June of 2019. I mean, well, well, I wasn't on the ground floor, baby. He's on the ground floor. This is a top tier investor in my scam coin, Tom Coin, Tom Coin, Buy, yeah. Tom Coin. Buy now, <laughs> sell it to three other people, and get them to sell it to three other people. I call this an inverted cone. Yes. Don't. Not a pyramid. It's not a pyramid scheme. That's, it's an inverted cone. It's, it's an inverted cone scheme distinct from a pyramid scheme. That's right. Yeah. Duh. Doy. But no, like what what is what have you enjoyed the most out of like doing this podcast for over a year now? Dan, over a year and a half. Yeah, I guess that's Soon. true. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting knowing things a lot earlier than I used to know things. Um uh, and I don't even know if that's fun. The- it's something I've heard not an Apple fan talk about too, where it's just like on review days, I'm just like, yeah, it's almost just like, let's see if I was wrong about something days. Like, because like I look at this and I'm like, yeah, it's not like, I'll forget to cover some big stories just cause it's like, well, I covered those two months ago. So yeah, that's true. Where it's like, oh yeah, I, <laughs> this new thing that I knew about for a while. Yep. It's accurate, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm a lot more into reading uh, stuff about it. I mean, uh, about like the tech industry. I'm also really busy with graduate school, so <laughs> it's hard to balance the two sometimes. But I mean, yeah, here we are recording around your schedule at like midnight your time just to get this out on time. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, a, a lot of work goes into it. And, you know, that's but uh, uh, talking about the whole release day, really, the, uh, uh, like anything wrong days thing. Like, I think that's something that I've gotten better and better at is when to cover a story and when not to, because sometimes it's better to not really cover it until closer to launch. So you're more part of that conversation and the Mm -hmm. hype around when it happens. Yeah. Like, there's no point, you know, in like doing all this research and like, I could try to kill myself for more meteor like information right now, but guys, let's just prioritize like RDNA three or Zen four or something. Cause at least those are only over a year away. Yeah, do we really just need to be talking about meteor like for the next two years, three years, four three years? years. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's going on with Intel? But yeah, so I don't know. I guess those are our answers, and I guess that's it, Dan. That's this episode. We did. It, it. became a bit longer than I expected, but I, I think I think it turned out pretty well. Hell yeah! So if you would like to support our inverted cone scheme, just remember that you know. I mean, this is. Sustained by the patrons. You get this episode early and ad-free every week. You get die shrinks every other week. I put out a hits and gems or you know, something from Flyer States every now and then. The hits and gems is also to fourth-tier members. I don't I think I'll probably do another one before the end of the year. Like you get free questions for loose ends. You get to submit reader mails, which is how you communicate with us. So just remember if you have the extra money, you're paying for Dan to kill himself at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and for Gerard, who works on the editing and, of course, every you know the maintenance of the website and everything else going on as well. Which reminds me, i got to update that GPU hierarchy chart now. Oh, yeah. There's I finally have GPUs. the information. 
I was going to wait till RDNA 2 to finally make my opinions clear on which ones I think are in which tier. Yeah, I should do that within a week. So just remember, guys, we look for your support. And if you can't, now nah, we understand. Just if you're in the hitchhike. If you're a hitchhiker, you know, just when you get in another car, chat us up to your friends. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Goodbye. Everyone. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lennon, Jim Bollocks, Joshua Alvin, Muhammad Alkawari, Frederick Loud, James Crasset, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil F., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kingilo, Fatboy D. Saru, Daniel Hyde, D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exodi, Victor Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Rubber Duck, Street of Full, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Sean Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Cyan Nora, Alenia, Joshua Stamness, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Feldas, Carnivore Bear, Macto 226, Saber Z Birds, Licking. Matt Berzegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Calm Marco, Deke, 
Jeezy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Master Andy Wan, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Deniscue, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Miss Sears, Paul Bogdan, Morton Spenson, Andrew Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Jake Pym, Wakir Khan, JBG, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futo, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Dispotsky, Paul J., My Name is Nobody, Ruben Marr, Luis Correa, John Jamison, Eshel Dar Epstein, Luca, Anders Bourbon, Matthew Lazier, Tim Robbins, HardForum.com, Susanna Maria, Stu, Dystopia, Arpit Sharma, and of course, thank you to Zahara for the music. 